This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson along with Michael Remus, and we have an absolutely packed show for you today. Uh, We'll kick it off with news on the Winnipeg Jets, filling out the coaching staff, uh, as well as an arbitration date for the lone Winnipeg Jet that is headed to arbitration. Uh, And then we're going to get into uh, some great guests today. We've been waiting all week to talk to Murat Atesh. Looking forward to having Murat come by in the second hour of the program. And we'll also tee up tonight's CFL doubleheader and get the latest on the Bombers heading into Edmonton tomorrow night with John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Uh, but before that, promised yesterday we'd talk a little bit more about the uh, continuing Hockey Canada situation. Scott Stinson from the National Post will jump on with us. And first up in about 20 minutes or so, our good friend Pat Steinberg in Calgary is going to jump on to uh, talk about the reaction to Johnny Gaudreau going to Columbus and the latest news of Matthew Kachuk informing the Calgary Flames that he will not sign an extension and looks to be traded to one of five teams that he said that he will sign an extension with. So a very much packed show. Looking forward to it. Welcome to everyone listening to uh, the podcast right now. If you do have the opportunity at any point to jump on Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star rating or review, always appreciated. And shout out to everybody with us live on YouTube. Make sure you're hitting that red subscribe button and joining us daily, 1 o'clock central, right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Well, let's get to it and welcome in Michael Remus. Remo, what's going on? Yeah, we got some news here. Feeling good. Ooh, I'm just trying to have lunch and do this, or I got something stuck in my throat. I'm feeling good. It's a summer day. We're coming off the suit show. I mean, who would have thought that us posting a picture on suit? Like, I don't want to say we went we went viral, but like, you know, we can post a video of us talking about like hockey, and it doesn't really get a lot of engagement. But a picture of us dressed <laughs> as well as we did yesterday in suit. The People seem to like that, so I don't know. I we had some requests to like do that, do that more than just like once in a while. Uh, who knows? As I said, my uh, my new shipment from F Apparel will be in in a couple weeks, and we'll do it again at some point. Although I will say this: for all the compliments and comments we got on the look yesterday, you've really taken it right back. Uh, can I just uh, chat? Do you know anybody else that wears their hat like Michael Remus? Like, I'm looking at you, and I can't even tell what hat you're wearing because of the perfect 45-degree angle of the bill going forward. It's ridiculous. What do you mean? This is I've been doing this for years, man. This is (laughs) how to wear a hat. Well, look, I'm on. we're kind of on TV. I want people to see my face. What, you want me to, like, go like this and be like, (laughs) all right, here, we're here to, we're here to talk Jets. Let's go. Like, I want people to see. See what I look like. Come on. So I go like this. Then I don't have to worry. Then I don't have to worry about my um my hair today. This that's the best part. The hair is fine. The hair is fine. It is a uh it, it is a bizarre, bizarre hat style that you and I'll grant you this, you've stayed true to it for a long time. Um yeah. and again, this will mean nothing to the podcast, folks, but uh Essentially, imagine a bill just going out from a forehead at a 45-degree angle with absolute, I mean, no idea. what you, you should pull it up at the front. Remember, like the, the you'd probably be a little too young, but Suicidal Tendencies, this band that used to be like a big skate rock band, they would have the, the bill of the hat 
pulled up, almost curved, and it said suicidal in front. That was a uh, big yeah. look around the uh, skate park back in the day. You're almost bringing that back. I have a lot of hats, but I know there's a style you can get, like, stuff on the underbill. I'm not into having writing. Um, that's not for me. But... You may as well. That's the only thing people are seeing when you wear a hat. That's fine. They can see my gray, sweaty, stain <laughs> underbill. That's fine. We're good with that. Uh, all right, let's get down to business because we do have a lot to talk about. Um, as I mentioned, Pat Steinberg's going to come up and we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Calgary situation, how that might relate to the Winnipeg Jets, um, and just what people in Calgary have been feeling after an incredible season, an incredibly disappointing end in the Battle of Alberta, and now an unmitigated disaster of an offseason with Johnny Gaudreau taking $15 million less to head to Columbus, and now the impending departure of Matthew Kachuk. But closer to the Winnipeg Jets at home, the Jets have rounded out the coaching staff, Michael Remus. And, you know, some familiar names, some names that we had heard rumored as potentially being up for the job. Um, but Brad Lauer, longtime NHL player, and last year head coach of the WHL champion Edmonton Oil Kings is part of Rick Bonus's staff. And Marty Johnson, a uh, former guest of ours on Winnipeg Sports Talk, who, um, of course, was working with the Manitoba Moose, gets the call up to the National Hockey League to round out Rick Bonus's staff, which, of course, already had Scott Arneal on as an associate head coach. Yeah, big announcement today. We were wondering who are the assistants, and it had been rumored for a while that Nolan Baumgartner um, would be involved. He was hired as the assistant coach for the Manitoba Moose. And as you said, Brad Lauer was formed to coach with Rick Bonus um, when they were assistants under John Cooper in Tampa. Uh, Jeff Hamilton tweeted out that he's, you know, had heard Lauer's name mentioned, and he said on this show, if Barry Trotz would be the coach, he would have been on the staff there. So they brought him over here under under Bonus and Marty Johnson. According to Jeff, said he's one of the hardest working coaches in the league. He's been with the Moose for five years. We've had him on this program, so. You know, Jet staff now complete, all done. And oh yeah, Matt Prefontaine brought back as the video coach as well. So, all right, we, we've got the coach. That's one more thing off the to-do list. And now, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. What happens with the roster? But nice uh, that this is, you know, this is done, and we can put it behind us here. Well, and you know what? A little uh, exciting announcement for us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Peach, speaking of the coaching staff, tomorrow on the program, we will have Jets head coach Rick Bonus on. He's going to join us from Halifax. Really looking forward to that. We'll talk to him about, uh, you know, getting the gig, rounding out the staff, and I'll look ahead, of course, to training camp and the upcoming season for the Winnipeg Jets. So make sure you join us on tomorrow's program for Rick Bonus and his first uh, visit to Winnipeg Sports Talk since jumping on as the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, so this taken care of right now, Remo, um, I, we knew that it was going to be happening, and this was probably one of the easier things of the many things on Kevin Sheveldayoff's list to do. Uh, we've been talking about the PLD situation all week long. We'll certainly do that as well with Marat a little bit later on. Um, but now the coaching staff has taken uh, taken shape. Um, they'll prepare for the upcoming season, probably on a number of different possibilities as to what this roster looks like going forward. And once again, all eyes turn back to Kevin Sheveldayoff on what he can do regarding a potential move of Blake Wheeler. Um, the glut on the blue line right now. And it will be fascinating to see how different this team looks come September in training camp as opposed to right now as the days tick by in the month of July. 
Yeah, there was one player who was still out there that I was hoping the Jets would be in on, but he signed today with a division rival, Nashville Predators, and that's Nino Niederreiter. And I had liked him going back to Minnesota. You know, he's a guy he can forecheck, he can score. A good two-way player. I thought he would have fit in well for a team that needs some middle six scoring. Maybe he's a bit of a smaller guy, but I thought he, he was pretty good, you know, with the Carolina and Nashville. They've made some moves here uh, this offseason, re-signing, what, Forsberg? And, you know, they were saying, oh, David Poyle hasn't done anything. I thought that's a nice sign. Two years, uh, $4 million AAV. And you have to wonder if, you know, Kevin Chevaldeov's hands are tied. Well, one, you know, we know that they have trouble attracting free agents, but this whole Dubois thing is kind of, you know, limiting what you can do because you don't know, you know, who's going to be here. And I thought that would be a player who would have been attractive to the Jets, but um, they, they missed out. And he go, I don't know if they went for him, but he went to Nashville. Yeah. Uh, listen, as far as the Dubois situation, I'll be interested to get Marat's take on this a little bit later on. Uh, I mean, I don't really think that this has at all changed the Winnipeg Jets' plans going into next season. I mean, I fully think that the Winnipeg Jets are counting on Pierre-Luc Dubois to be here, to be a player for them for the majority of this season. I, mean, I think we've talked about that. You know, unless Kevin Sheveldayoff gets that offer that he says, absolutely, let's make this trade right now, uh, I think that they slow play this like they've done so many other situations in the past. And I still do think, uh, and obviously what happens this season and where the team is in and around the trade deadline will have a you know major impact on this. Um, but the value of Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think will be easily as high, if not higher, at the trade deadline this year as opposed to it is right now. I mean, the fact that you'll be able to get a player like that to come on board for two playoffs and a full season, even without presumably the um, cost certainty that the team may have had if they had elected for team-filed arbitration is going to way things go. So um, there's going to need... And I think probably the fact that they didn't go to arbitration was a pretty good indication that that was the plan going forward. Because as um, you know, we spoke yesterday with Rennie on the program, the one thing that maybe was pushing the Jets not to go that option um, was to try to, as Rennie said yesterday, I think quite well, de-escalate the situation that certainly in the media circles escalated quite quickly. And if you are going to have him around and you don't think you're going to get what you would need to trade him at this point, I guess it is important to uh, try to make things as smooth as possible, despite the fact that it doesn't look like there's a long-term future for PLD here in Winnipeg. Yeah, we've seen how this play out in the past where Sheveldayoff takes his time, waits for the right deal, and I thought he's you know done well if you look at the Kane situation and the Truba one. However, I mean, if Dubois, they don't trade him, plays game one, has, like, is he getting booed? in his own building because based on what I've seen in this chat over it's a the good last thing the season days, doesn't start tomorrow. Yeah, like Let's just the, say that. If the season started tomorrow, oh yeah, I would say no question. Maybe it'll cool off. You know, maybe he'll say the right things before. Maybe there's a sit down, uh sit down with Sarah where he talks about his feelings. We could see that. But I think the moment that he comes out and you know has a four check or lays the body you know, maybe fans get on his side, but uh, there are people who are kind of done with him based on our chat over the last couple of days. So uh, I think that's something we'll be monitoring the temperature of that going forward. But 
you know, we're just seeing it across the league. You know, it's so funny. I'm, you just hear about, we've talked about this Jets, bad news after bad news. I'm almost wondering who's had a worse offseason, the Jets or the Flames. And I mean, if the Flames well, have the two, Flames if, by far. The, I mean, it hasn't happened yet to the Jets. I mean, we were waiting for something good to happen, and it hasn't. Calgary has been, I mean, essentially a nuclear bomb in that locker room. I mean, they are about to lose two-thirds of the best line in the National Hockey League from last year. Johnny Gaudreau left and took $15 million less to leave Calgary and go to Columbus, of all places. Um and now Matthew Kachuk, and, you know, we can get right into this. Kachuk has said uh, uh, reportedly to the Calgary Flames that he's not going to be signing an extension. And if they do want to trade him, he will consider signing an extension with one of five teams. St. Louis Blues, where he's from, the Florida Panthers, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Nashville Predators, and the Dallas Stars. And I don't know about you, Reem, but when I look that, maybe you can take out St. Louis, although I love St. Louis. I've had a great time there. It's an awesome city. Those other four uh, options almost read like, where's the best place to go watch a game on the road with your buddies and party? Like, <laughs> it's interesting. Now, I do, I will say this. I think if you dig a little deeper to the tax situation in Florida and in Dallas and in Nevada, and in Tennessee, there's probably some financial benefits to being a player on one of those squads. If you're Matthew Kachuk and signing, you know, a long-term contract at big money. Um, but I had to laugh because it did look like that was basically just a list of the top social scenes in the National Hockey League when that list came out. Hey, I've been to St. Louis. I had a good time. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the Tums Factory is there. So, if you know, after you've had a good night, you can just head over to the Tums Factory for some relief. Um, of course you would know that. I would say it's the home of Anheuser-Busch, the Clydesdales, no, the, the Beer City. No, Remo, Tums. <laughs> I, I think I took a picture. I had no idea about that. I took a picture in front of it. A lot of people don't know. They Again, they talk about beer, talk about the arch. No one's talking about the Tums factory. It's <laughs> it's there. And it'll, you'll thank yourself. Did you when, get a tour? Did you get a tour and no, a lifetime supply? How, much, how many Tums do you uh, take a day? I just get the uh, big tub of the the flavored ones. Eat them like Tic Tacs. It's not a daily thing. It's not a daily thing. But the Tums Factory is there. Never gets credit. And so, I I mean, you, you need them. You definitely need them. The flavored ones are way better than the unflavored. <laughs> I'm curious where, where Kachuk's going to go. I think St. Louis. I mean, we're going. it's the summer of going home, right? So Dubois wants to go home to Montreal. Gaudreau went home to Columbus. Well, I mean, St. Louis wants him. There's no doubt. Yeah, they they want him. So I I think they get it done with St. Louis. They seem to have the pieces. You know, you have the Keith and then Matthew. I'm going with. If I had to put my, is it cool bet have odds on where he's gonna land? Because I think you know what I think St. Louis is the favorite. Interesting, you say that, and I know we'll check this out a little bit Call later on. No, Pat no, Greggie. no, get no. some odds up there. <laughs> you know what, Pete Greg, you could probably make that happen sometime soon. They did have some good free agency uh, lines heading into uh, the first big day of free agency. What's sort of funny about that, Remo, is I think two of the guys that had odds on there are still out there in Nassim Kadri and John Klingberg. And, you know, I have to think that the Kadri situation. He is waiting to see whether they can move a player from the roster. And I think all eyes point to Sam Girard. 
Um, the play of Boram Byram in the playoffs after Gerard got injured um, was, I don't want to say a revelation because this guy was what fourth overall pick. I think they knew they had a stud in the making, um, but he really did show it in the playoffs. And, you know, there will be demand for Gerard at $5 million a season. And if Joe Sackick can make that move and get Sam Gerard off the books for some return, probably in picks, not on the roster, I think that opens up enough cap room that they can bring Kadri back. And listen, if you're Nazem Kadri, I mean, why wouldn't you take a little bit of extra time considering it doesn't seem like that life-changing offer is on the table right now from anywhere else? And obviously... He's looking to uh, continue his career in Colorado if he can get the money that he feels he deserves on the UFA market after the season and the career that he's had. I agree. I kind of feel like he's waiting for Colorado to open up salary. Why wouldn't you want to go back to Colorado? They just won the cup. They got a lot of the same guys. But I was so surprised that they signed Josh Manson. They already had so many defense. Maybe they were planning on trading Gerard along because he's kind of a similar defenseman you talk about nintendo ice hockey you got the, with the medium guy skinny guy fat guy like manson is a fat guy you got all these medium skinny guys like Makar, taves taves and gerard so i think that does make sense from a construction that one even byram could be he's another another medium guy so um but one back i saw to, it, back to the nintendo theory always, of uh, always, roster construction always back to nintendo ice hockey so well, that's what people are saying. The Jets shouldn't get Niederreiter. They already got too many skinny guys. Uh, I, was, I was like, hey, good players. Good player is a good player. But uh, I saw this tweet today from Andy Strickland, who seems to be pretty plugged in. Texting with an NHL GM yesterday. Trust me. Moving money is hard. Harder than people understand. Boo-hoo, NHL GM. Go out there. Make some trades. Give us something to talk about. I don't want to hear... This this whining, I don't know. I, That's the reality. Like, That's see, the reality. Trades we can are getting joke done. About it. <clears throat> trades are so many big trades are getting done in other leagues, and all you just hear is GMs complaining how hard it is. Come on, yeah, other leagues don't have a flat cap after no. two years coming out of the pandemic. Um, and you know we're gonna have an interesting conversation with Scott Burnside tomorrow on uh, the landscape of the National Hockey League, the market right now as well as the challenges for Canadian teams. You can read his piece in Daily Faceoff right now. Um, and, you know, he sort of ties the fact that a Canadian team hasn't won since 1993 um, to many of the challenges that these teams are, are, are facing right now and keeping their own players. But as far as moving money, um, there's no better example of that right now than the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I would think that there would be some demand for a number of the players on the blue line. None of that's happened yet. And, I mean, the biggest challenge right now for Kevin Sheveldayoff, if he is going to move Captain Blake Wheeler to another club, which apparently the captain is in on, you A, need to find a spot that the captain will accept a trade to. He's got five teams where the Jets can, but I'd imagine that's probably a bigger number um, if he's looking to get out of town. But at the same time, as we've reportedly heard, that the Jets are not keen on eating some of Blake Wheeler's salary. And if that's the case, based on what Andy said, I mean, I think it really is a incredibly uphill battle for Kevin Chevalier to make that move. Now, it could end up being where you're taking some assets and some salary cap, uh, some players 
that maybe are expendable from other teams, potentially even a third team. But it was like we talked about yesterday. These trades are incredibly difficult. They could need a third team to do it. And I think that the work that will go in, if these deals are made, specifically the one, or especially the one involving Jets captain Blake Wheeler, um, there will be weeks and weeks of work that's probably already happened and will continue to happen before that does get uh, completed. And I still don't know exactly how that trade looks at the end of it all. Um, we were expecting that, you know, the team was going to have to, you know, probably eat some of the salary and Blake Wheeler at four and a half million or $5 million is much more palatable to a team than eight and a half. Um, but again, it's money in and money out in most places right now. And that is a real complicating factor specifically for Kevin Shebeldayoff and what he's trying to do, presumably with this Jets roster. Well, I go back to Golden Knights. I mean, Max Pacioretty, he's a good player and yeah. he just traded him away. They no, sorry. They didn't trade him away. They gave him away for nothing. Future considerations. Future considerations. And so, I mean, he's 33. Wheeler's a bit older. I still think he's a productive player. He can help us just... At that salary, you're not getting, you know, the value as, you know, we saw Brandon Hagel at the trade deadline, you know, give up all those picks just because he's a good player at, at low salary. So, again, Pacioretty, um, he was almost point per game last year, and now he's injured for most of the, for half a season. But they gave him away for nothing. So, I, think, I agree. I think it's going to be hard to find someone who's interested in Blake Wheeler. And if you're going to do that trade, if it's going to happen, you are probably going to want to get another player who's kind of similar, you know, similar age, maybe, maybe slightly overpaid, but I think it would be a lot easier if you just, you know, if you eat some of the salary, I mean, at 4 million, he's almost a bargain or maybe is a bargain. So I think he could definitely help a team win. You know, he brings it every night. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there as we are July 21. There's some big, big moves that are going to happen. Which is why also, like, Matthew Kachuk, like, why would you trade for him when you can sign Kadri? I guess Kadri's older and he's probably riskier giving him, like, a seven-year deal than Matthew Kachuk, who's, what is he, 25? Well, and, and Kachuk's a bit of a unicorn. I mean, you know, for as skilled of a player as he is, he has an element that is so rare right now in the National Hockey League. He is one of the biggest pains in the ass in the league. Um, he's a guy that can mix it up with pretty much anyone. Um, he is phenomenal at drawing penalties and he, in a lot of ways has sort of been part of the heart and soul of that team. Um, so I totally get why a lot of teams would love to have Matthew Kachuk on, on the roster and, you know, it'll be interesting. We'll talk about this with Pat Steinberg coming up in just a second uh, about the teams that would be interested and, you know, what the flames might be able to get out of a trade, um, for, Matthew Kachuk, now that it seems like his time in Calgary is done. All right, just before we bring Pat in, um, do want to give a big shout-out to our friends at Vita Health, who feature great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries at Vita Health Fresh Market. Barbecue season is here, and they've got you covered with lean bison steaks or chicken, hot dogs, burgers, and great non-alcoholic drink options like Sober Carpenter beer and Clever Mocktails. Everything you need for a great summer day. And don't forget their delicious lunch options like Vitamarket salad, soup, sandwiches, and more. You like supporting local? Vita Health's a great local company carrying an amazing selection of local products too. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.com. 
Ca. Well, yeah, we got a lot of comments on the suits yesterday, and thanks to everyone for that record-breaking show on Monday. Took us an extra day because of the fire alarm fiasco two days ago, but we did come through for that. And, of course, a big shout-out to our friends at F Apparel who've been uh, making Winnipeggers look good for a long time. They're the leaders in the uh, men's wear department in this city. And of course, feature custom-made suits starting at $400, but far more too. Great deal on shirts right now in the summer, three for $210. And uh, as I said, I went in yesterday, uh, last week to get fitted. Uh, more sizes, styles, and patterns than you can uh, imagine. Anything you want, F can do it for you. And also, if you are in a wedding party, talk to them about that great 15% discount when you and the fellas get your suits over at F Apparel. And of course, a big thanks to Wallace and Wallace. We were mentioning a lot of people out on the water last week. If you saw a boathouse door that caught your eye, chances are it was Wallace and Wallace. They're the leaders in fencing in town and of course, overhead doors, but got you covered for the boathouse as well. Um, give them a call at 452-2700 or check them out at wallacedoors.com on what they can do for your little piece of paradise at the lake. And uh, you can also visit them or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston for your fence needs, overhead doors, and again, boathouse as well. And uh, just before we get to Pat Steinberg, uh, a big shout out to our friends at Aikens Lake. I'm counting down the days to get out there in early August, uh, but have had a lot of fun watching and seeing all the big fish they've been pulling out of the lake recently on the Aikens Lake social channels. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Aikens Lake and check them out online at AikensLake.com for all the options on a great family trip or potentially a uh, great corporate outing after uh, all these Zoom meetings for the last couple of years. Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, AikensLake.com. All right, let's head out to Cowtown right now and welcome in my pal Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960, the fan, to discuss the uh, the offseason for the Flames and what's happening in Calgary after such a dream season. Patty, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, Huss, it has been a uh, it's been a ride the last nine days or so. What today's Thursday and Tuesday night is when Johnny said he ain't coming back. It's been a roller coaster since then. But hey, it's um, not good for the team we cover out here. But it's definitely good for uh, Twitter and sports radio and everything that we do. But boy, has it been a strange last little bit out here. And and I honestly. I, I, I honestly do not know what next season is going to look like with this team. I don't know what this team is going to look like. I don't know what direction they're going to go. Bizarre. And uh, it's it's been a ride, man. No doubt about it. Well, um, folks, by the way, Pat, uh, the host of uh, the very popular Flames Talk show and podcast, you can pick that up wherever you get uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. And um, Pat, I mean, we did all those shows last year together and we were talking about where the Flames were coming out of that very disappointing season, missing the playoffs. Daryl Sutter took over um, and there was plenty of talk, you know, when we were chatting about the Flames that, you know, what do they do with Johnny Gaudreau? And it sounded like they were going to go into the season and see what happens. Johnny was pretty clear. He did not want to negotiate a contract during the season and Listen, he bet on himself and, you know, absolutely hit a home run season as part of the uh, best line in hockey. Um, there was thought that the Flames were doing, and I still think, I mean, I don't think there's any Flames fans that don't think the Flames as an organization did everything they could to keep them. 
take us back to last Tuesday. I mean, you're so close to this situation. What were you feeling going into, I guess, the day before the deadline for the eight-year deal? And uh, how stunned were you when you heard the money that he left on the table and where he ended up going? Well, what made it so stunning, Huss, was that he was going to sign. Like, so I'll take you back to Tuesday morning. I, I get a tip and and it's like, hey, Johnny's Johnny's camp put an offer on the table and finally put an offer on the table because the Flames had, had put their offer on the table, which was pretty widely known by that point of eight years times nine and a half billion dollars. So that was the initial offer from the Flames. They put that on the table like very, very soon after their season came to an end. Okay. Uh, nothing back, nothing back, nothing back. And then on that final day, last Tuesday of the eligibility for an eight-year deal, they came to the table with an offer. And the Flames came to the table with a counteroffer. And they started working. And it was my understanding that, and we were talking about this all day on Flames Talk, that they were grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. And it felt pretty hopeful. We finished at 5 p.m. Calgary time that day. I go home. I get a text at about 5.50. It says this thing is close. Like this thing is, I hate using the term because of how it went with Jack Eichel, but it's on the one yard line or whatever term you want to use. And you're like, okay. And so then you're starting to think to yourself, okay, this thing is going to get done and the flames and Gaudreau are going to do it. And the next thing you know, minutes later, after getting that text and I wasn't the only one, there were like most people thought that this thing was done. And then all of a sudden Elliot Friedman tweets, Johnny Gaudreau's testing free agency. And and it was as big a swerve as I can remember because it, it it felt like it was going to happen. It felt like it was done, and then it wasn't. And then, of course, 24 hours later, he chooses Columbus, which blew everybody's mind that he decided to join the Blue Jackets. So it's just, it, was, it was a crazy day because the momentum was picking up, and I think people were feeling pretty hopeful inside the organization, outside the organization. And then it ends up going the way that it ends up going, which obviously was was worst case scenario. And then you skip ahead a few days. And then Matthew Kachuk tells him he's not going to sign long term. And now he is the next superstar player on his way out. It's been a, it's been a bad couple of weeks here for the Flames. No doubt about it. Hey, before we get to the Kachuk situation, um, and now reality is what everyone makes their own. I mean, some people have the particular opinions on it and what they're based on. I'm not sure, but is the... Does Calgary and does the organization feel like they were bargained with in good faith by Gaudreau and his uh, his representatives? Well, I think there was some frustration. Absolutely, I do. I think there was some frustration from the Flames about how it went, about how if you weren't going to sign here, couldn't you have told us earlier? So we weren't held ransom and we weren't in a spot where our entire offseason was held up the way it was, which I guess I can understand. Frustration goes along with it. And when you don't get your guy and he decides to sign somewhere else, like that's a frustrating thing because you're losing a 115 point superstar winger for nothing. And saying that I don't believe, and especially now that we have heard from Johnny multiple times, I don't believe that this was ever a poor faith or bad faith negotiation. I really do take Johnny at face value when he says that he didn't know what he was doing up until the end. And that's why, that's why some of the discourse that was out there and, and some of the storytelling or opinions that were out there about how he took the team for a ride or this was all uh, calculated to hold the flames up or whatever the case people talked about. The reason why I never bought into that was because 
we were talking about a guy that was minutes from signing. He was that close to signing. And then he and the family decided that they were going to go a little bit closer and back to the Eastern time zone. So I don't think this is a bad faith negotiation. I really don't. I think Johnny was undecided the entire way through. I think Johnny was in a spot where he agonized over it for weeks and weeks and weeks and didn't truly know what he wanted. And I think, and, and you can criticize him if you want for this, but I think the fact that, or, or, or once that, that, that final offer was put on the table and, and they got to a number that they agreed upon, I think that was when Johnny was finally able to make his decision and say, okay, they're going to give me what I want. They, they want me there. Okay. And, and whether it's right or wrong, I think sometimes you need all the information before you can make a final decision of that magnitude. And there's no doubt that the wife and the family also played a part in it. Of course they did it as they should. Um, and, and there remains some vitriol towards Johnny out here. I think that we have heard from him and a lot of what we've heard makes it a little bit easier to understand how things played out. The only thing that I think there's maybe a little bit of validity to is the fact that he, maybe he could have been a little bit more transparent. Maybe he could have been a little bit more like, Hey, I, I honestly, like, I really want to go back out East as much as I want. And, and I get the feeling there wasn't a, as much transparency as there could have been, but that's also negotiation 101 and it's part of the game. And, and the flames used all their leveraging power six years ago when they got Johnny to sign a six year deal. And Lewis Gross, the agent used as much of his leveraging power as he could this time around. So it's all part of the game. It's not necessarily the best case scenario for Calgary, but they got to regroup. And I am fascinated to see where, this next few weeks and months takes this organization. Well, I mean, listen, it's a pretty chilling ordeal for other Canadian teams to look at because, I mean, the Flames had such a great team last year. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't that they weren't a competitive team. Um, the personal success was there. The big money offer was there. I mean, I don't think there's anything more the Calgary Flames could have done to try to keep Johnny. That being said, they did play themselves into a very risky situation by going into that final year with his contract expiring into the end of the season in the way that he did it. Um, but all that being said, Pat, with Johnny's situation going forward, um, you know, I know we've been talking a lot about the Winnipeg situation with all these players with two years left on their deal. And we've often talked about a two year window. It now seems more like a one year window that could even be shorter based on this. Um, how much did the Gaudreau aftershocks affect the Kachuk situation or did they at all? I think they did. Um, I think that, and, and we've been talking about this. I think all along they were somewhat tied together or the very least Kachuk was tied to Gaudreau. Um, and, and I think what Matthew would end up deciding was at the very least connected to what Johnny decided. I think that they, and to that point, I think Calgary would have had a better chance in retaining Matthew Kachuk if they also were able to sign Johnny Gaudreau. Now, in saying that, I still think that the Kachuk negotiations would have been difficult because, look, you, you've, you've been in Winnipeg long enough. You know you know how difficult, and difficult is the wrong word, how tough a negotiator Keith Kachuk was in his day. Um, and that is carried over into what now this is a third 
contract negotiation for the Kachuk brothers in the NHL. One really tough one that ended up going Ottawa's way on a long-term deal with Brady. Uh, 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 three years ago, a really tough negotiation between Matthew and the Flames. And now here we are on this one. So I do think they were tied together. But even had Johnny, if you and I were talking right now and Johnny had signed eight times ten and a half and was still a member of the Calgary Flames, I still don't think it's a guarantee that Matthew Kachuk is re-signing with the Flames. Because I do think that there is a... And it sucks because you you're in Winnipeg and we have friends in Edmonton and Ottawa and like being a Canadian market is not easy right now in the NHL. And then when you take out take out the fact that you know Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa were not the biggest cities in Canada. Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, they have a leg up because they're Toronto, Montreal and and Vancouver. Like the small market teams in the NHL and the Canadian markets in the NHL, they're they're kind of playing with a bad deck of cards right now. And so when you combine the two, it's tough for the Jets and the Flames and the Oilers and the Sens to be bringing in attractive talent. Like I'm fascinated to see where the Alex DeBrinkett story goes with the Ottawa Senators. Are they able to retain him? It's when it's it's and, and it's why when a team, even if they have to quote unquote overpay a little bit to keep a player who just specifically happens to be American, it's a good, like, it's a win every time. Like, the Jets retaining Kyle Connor, that is a win. I don't care if people think, I, hey, I don't think it is an overpay, but, you know, I, it, I, I don't think it is. And, and had the Flames had to go to 8 by 11 to keep Johnny or 8 by 11 to keep Matthew, it doesn't matter if you think it's an overpay, in my opinion, because I think it's important to keep these players knowing how difficult it is in this day and age. So, yeah, I do think that they were connected, but I also think Matthew could have left anyway. Um, at least in the Kachuk situation, two things have happened. A, he's let them know, and B, they've got some time to work out a trade, the trade that could end up being really good for the organization, depending on how it goes. We had a lot of talk, Pat, earlier in this week, um, you know, on the uh, deadline for team elected arbitration. And, of course, this coming out to uh, all the nonsense from Pat Brisson and the public out in Quebec and what that's done kicking a corner hornet's nest here on Dubois' future here in Winnipeg. And I mean, I had really thought that it would have been in the best interest of the Jets to do exactly what the Calgary Flames did, um, you know, establish a value, get some cost certainty for this player for the next couple seasons. It doesn't change how long you've got control of the player, and that might actually help them potentially on a trade deadline deal, knowing that, you know, a team would be getting him for two playoffs, another full season, and have some cost certainty. The Kachuk situation is different because this is, he just has the one more year. Uh, mm -hmm. Take us behind the scenes. Why did the Flames elect for team arbitration? And what did you make of that decision as far as how this thing may be giving us an idea of how it'll play out this summer? Okay, so here here is pretty much the cut and dried situation. So Johnny goes, he leaves last Tuesday, signed in Columbus on Wednesday. Player elected salary arbitration deadline was Sunday. Matthew as expected, did not file for arbitration. The three other players the Flames had eligible did. But Matthew didn't because as soon as you file for arbitration, two things happen. Number one, you can't just simply take your qualifying offer and, and walk yourself to unrestricted free agency in a year's time in Matthew's case. And number two, you're not eligible for an offer sheet. So those two things expire or, or are no longer on the table if you go to arbitration. So, and knowing that he's got a $9 million QO, why would he? He's probably not going to get a whole lot more in ARB on, on a one-year deal. So he doesn't, as expected. The next day is the team-elected deadline. 
And the Flames, as well as anybody else, knew the deadline for the qualifying offers was tomorrow or, or Friday, July 22nd. But here is the sticker. Matthew told them late last week, whether it was Saturday, whether it was Sunday, I'm not exactly sure which day, but he told them late last week that he's not going to re-sign in Calgary. He is not going to be signing a long-term deal. So now Matthew has put that on the table. And so for the Flames, you're now in a spot where, well, if he gets to Friday and accepts his QO, which now we almost certainly believe he would have, well, now it's in a spot where, well, he's planning a one-year deal and he's that much harder to trade because you, you're now trading a guy who's a pending unrestricted free agent. At least in this case, by going to team elected arbitration, yes, it takes the offer sheet off the table, which I think is whatever. I don't really think the Flames are all that worried about that. But what it does is that Friday, July 22nd deadline no longer exists. A new deadline exists a few weeks down the road. And it ends up being, as we found out today, August 11th, which bought them almost an additional three weeks of time to figure out what they're going to do. We obviously know they're not going to re-sign them. They're going to trade them, and you can pretty much put a hard deadline on an August 11th date for for when they trade them. But I, I would be stunned, Huss, if he's in a Flames jersey next year because I just don't know how you can do it. That would mean you, you've gone to arbitration, and now the two sides who are going in different directions to begin with now they dislike each other even more because they went into an arbitration <laughs> hearing. He's going to get traded, and he's going to get traded in the next three weeks, whether it's right away or whether it's down the road. That's the only thing that needs to be determined. And, and by buying themselves that extra runway, they've given themselves the opportunity to let Kachuk's camp work with other teams on a contract. And that's, the, maybe, that's maybe the most important thing because a team's not acquiring them unless A, they have been given assurances that he's going to sign, or B, they've already worked out a contract. And the Flames will have given teams permission to be able to negotiate, to negotiate with his, his agent, Craig Oster, and then they can come up with a deal once you know a deal is negotiated. Unfortunately for the Flames, that, that dwindles the pool to four or five teams that are interested and that can actually do this, but at the very least, it means that you can get maximum assets because you're not dealing with the uncertainty of whether or not the guy is going to leave his new team at the end of the coming season. So it's it's a not ideal spot to be in, but at least the Kachuk camp came to Calgary, was honest about it, and said, we're not going to sign here. At least they did them that solid so that Brad Trilliving, the GM, can can go and look at other options and yeah. try to make the right trade. Yeah, well, five teams is better than one. Uh, and. Right? Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm referring to there. Um, so let's talk about this situation that Trevel, Tre, uh, Treleving's in. Johnny's gone. Uh, I'm sure that significantly changed the outlook to begin with going into this season after having such a great year last year. And now Matthew Kachuk will be on the move. What does the trade look like? What's the best case scenario for the Calgary Flames? And do you have a sense of what the most likely landing spot uh, or trade partner would be for Brad? So, I mean, I keep going back to St. Louis, I do, um, just because there's been that connection forever uh, with Matthew and the St. Louis Blues. Um, so, I think trade partner-wise, that's the team at the top of my power rankings, but not the only team. I know New Jersey was interested and was sniffing around even going back to the draft in Montreal. Um, so, New Jersey's interesting to me. I think Vegas would show a ton of interest, of course. Their cap situation is such a mess. I don't know if they'd be able to do it. Vegas but, is interested in everyone every time. And they seem to always get them, regardless of the salary cap doesn't apply. Um, the thing is, 
this is the million dollar question. What does the package look like? And that's the million dollar question because we don't know what direction the Flames are going in. And Haas, I don't believe they know what direction they're going in. Uh, I think we're talking about right now um, a scenario where there is significant debate going on behind the scenes about whether or not to rebuild, retool, whatever, go in a different direction or to try to stay competitive, to go after a big free agent, to make to, to make this Kachuk trade and bring back NHL players as opposed to futures. Like for me, it's very clear. I don't I don't know if it is behind closed doors. In fact, I don't think it is. I think mean, that continues to be a big time debate. But for me, it's clear. You just lost 219 points in the regular season, and there's never been a more clear indication that going in a different direction is the way to go. And it doesn't have to be a seven-year Buffalo Sabres rebuild. It can be quick. If you make the right trade for Kachuk, if you make the right trade for a couple of other players, uh, because I think there there will be other players who express interest. I think of Michael Backlund. I think of Jacob Markstrom. I think of Chris Tanev. I think of Elias Lindholm. Guys like that who may not be enamored with them going in a different direction. Well, now all of a sudden you trade one or two of those guys and you start to bring back assets. You're putting yourself in a good spot to, to maybe get out of this new direction and the painful part of the new direction in fairly short order. So in saying that, what type of trade I think makes the most sense is the trade that brings back a younger roster player, a pick, and a prospect. That's the type of trade that I think the Flames should be making. My gut says that's the type of trade they will end up making. You just hope that it's not Dion Phaneuf all over again, where they trade one guy for four guys, and one of them ended up being a pretty mm-hmm. decent flame in Matt Stajan. The rest of them were gone in no time and barely made an impact. They didn't get any futures for Dion Phaneuf. They can't make that type of trade. And I know the temptation might be there to try to stay competitive, but I just I don't think that that's the way the flame should be going here. I really, really don't. Well, and, and, and I mean, it's certainly given us a lot to talk about over the past week or so and comparing it to the Jets situation, you know, with Shifley and Hellebuck and Wheeler, if he's still on the team, and Dubois with two years left of team control and not wanting to get into that situation. And that quote-unquote two-year window is more like one. And maybe the sooner you make decisions on some of those players, the better the trade looks and the better the return looks for the long term. I have to ask you about this Dubois situation. I mean, you've been around the game for a long time. I've spoken with a number of folks. Dave Poulin was on with us a few days ago. I mean, I can't remember a situation where an agent, especially a respected agent like Pat Brisson, you know, peacocks to the French media the way that he did um, of an RFA basically telegraphing a move to Montreal and the pressure that that's put on Chevaldeoff. Now, to his credit, he's always been patient in these situations, Pat, and you know as well as any in these sort of markets, they absolutely cannot give off the perception, at least, that they can be strong-armed or forced into a deal. And for Chevaldeoff, they absolutely have to get full value or get their asking price, whether it's now, whether it's later on in the season, or whether it is at the trade deadline or potentially next offseason. It stirred up a hornet's nest. I think they've done their client and do no favors whatsoever with the market he'll be coming back to. Um, but just what was your perspective on what we heard from Pat Brisson and how rare it is for this to go forward, especially considering his previous history with the way that he got out of Columbus? Yeah, it's I don't think it paints the client in a very good light. And I don't know if you're Montreal, like how how fired up are you to bring in that guy who is, you know, tried to orchestrate his way out of two spots in the past. I it's it's not surprising 
it's not something that, that would catch anybody off guard because we've seen that with Dubois before. But yeah, it's it's a little it's a little frustrating if you're the Jets. And it goes right back to what we talked about off the top. Like, dang, it sucks to be a smaller Canadian market. You you love your city. I love my city. We both believe and I think that both cities are hidden gems in North America. I really, really do. But man, it's too bad that um that, that guys aren't wanting to stay there long term. And, and I mean, the, the Montreal thing has been telegraphed forever when it comes to, to Dubois, it feels like. But, yeah, I don't think it did him any favors, but it does at the very least give Chevalier off the opportunity to, to – and, and maybe it doesn't end up being Montreal, but you can start to work with partners and start to plan the exit of um of Pierre-Luc Dubois from Winnipeg because it sure does feel like it's inevitable well and the funniest thing about it Pat is I mean there's been a lot of takes and uh, you know it's been a pretty divided fan base through a disappointing last season into the uh, into this offseason and to be honest this entire ordeal has almost been ironically the one thing that has united Jet fans together and essentially feeling like you know this is not right and um, I think the team probably at least in this particular case has as much support as they'll have in almost any of them uh, getting some time off what's up for the summer for you yeah I'm gonna I'm, I'm on I'm on holiday right now but I'm about to go do an Edmonton hit on radio I'm just, it's been radio hit or or web hit you're in high demand hit. for all the wrong hey. reasons I love it. It's good. Fun. But I'll, I've got some time off coming up. It'll be good. Beautiful, man. We'll uh, get a little travel in and uh, make the most of the time away. Uh, I know how hard you work throughout the season. So uh, if anyone has deserved a nice few weeks off, it's certainly you. Thanks so much for doing this, Pat. Always a pleasure chatting with you, man. Thanks, Hus. Take care. There it is, Pat Steinberg. Hey, Give him a follow on Twitter, at SteinbergFan960. And... Uh, if you're into more talk on the flames in this situation, go forward, make sure you subscribe to flames talk, wherever you get your podcast. All right. Murata Tesh coming up and we're going to really dive into, uh, he had a great piece. If you haven't read it already, get to the athletic. He and Arpon Basu in Montreal talking about both sides to, um, you know, everything that's happened with Pierre-Luc Dubois over the last couple of weeks. We will get to that. We'll also talk to with John Hodge on the bombers. No Jackson, Jeffcoat, no Greg Ellingson, doubleheader tonight that's all coming up but in just a second we'll get to the hockey canada situation with scott stinson before we do that a big shout out to our friends at culligan water you got to stay hydrated in these hot in this hot weather folks and when it comes to water culligan has been helping manitobans for over 65 years for all their water needs water softeners filters bottled water coolers whole home systems drinking water systems and citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether it's for the home, your cottage, or the business, Culligan has you covered. Pop down and see him at 1200 Sargent Avenue, 694-5180, or online at drinkculligan.com. <clears throat> well, it does sound like there's going to be some more significant player movement in the National Hockey League, certainly an exodus out of Calgary. We'll see what happens here in Winnipeg. Whether it's for your favorite player on your new favorite team um, or just your Jets gear, bomber gear and more. No one does licensed merchandise like Royal Sports. The biggest selection you will find anywhere. Jets, NHL, bombers, CFL, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball and so much more. And with this glorious summer weather right now, get outside and make the most of it. Soccer equipment, softball, baseball, fitness gear, bikes, 
disc golf, tennis, and more. It's all there at Royal Sports. Pop down and see them at 750 Pemina Highway and follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And hey, if you are working on something for the weekend, maybe fixing a car, you got to get a battery for a boat or a Sea-Doo, you all know that Manitoba Battery is the spot where you'll save time and money and get the best prices on batteries of all shapes and sizes while shopping local. Manitoba, uh, Manitoba Battery, is uh, you're not going to waste your time in the Costco parking lot. You're going to be dealing with experts that know exactly what you need, and you'll be getting incredible deals like the Deep Cycle 24 at $99.50. Nobody in town can beat that price. Pop on down and see them at the coolest JetBlue building in Winnipeg at 1026 Logan Avenue. Check them out online at manitobabattery.com or give them a call, 783-8787. Donnie and the staff will help get whatever you need ready for a quick and easy pickup, or they'll deliver it to you citywide to save even more time from our good friends at Manitoba Battery. And hey, a big shout out to uh, everyone participating in the Not Auto Corp Manitoba Amateur Championship happening right now at Elmhurst. We'll do a bit of a hit uh, tomorrow on that and give you an update on it. But of course, wishing I saw Braxton Kuntz, the uh, junior champion out of Breezy Bend, had a great start. Uh, a lot of Breezy golfers out in that event right now and wishing them and everybody else a great, uh, great luck in the tournament. And of course, if you're thinking about a great spot, long-term home for you and your family on the golf course at one of Manitoba's best private clubs, Breezy Bend is the spot. Talk to our friend Corey Johnson about getting on the waiting list for next season or find out more on everything Breezy has to offer at breezybend.ca. All right, Maratatesh coming up in just a few minutes. Right now, though, let's welcome in Scott Stinson from the National Post for the latest on the Hockey Canada situation. Scott, thanks so much for doing this. It's great to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, as always. It's uh, it's really cool to be on, on this version of your show. Well, you know, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Unfortunately, most of the time we're talking about fun stuff and, you know, more trivial sports matters, but this one is um, far more serious than most. Um, let's go back to the first TSN report from, uh, I believe it was Rick Westhead, yep. on this case. Um, it, it sort of started quietly. Did you have a feeling that this could be um, the monster story with so many ramifications it was when you first heard? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit I was I was a couple of days late to it because I was out of the country when it first broke. And then when when you start reading the coverage, uh, it, it really was remarkable. And my first reaction, to be honest, was like, there must be something I'm missing here. This is, there, there can't be like this seems too crazy to have gone down the way it appears to have gone down. And is there is there another part that, you know, and, and so you sort of wait to see maybe there's a more logical explanation, a more innocent explanation. Uh, but then time goes by and and we are where we're now. It seems like every time there's been a further revelation in the story, it it's just kind of made it worse or or made you realize some element of the story that you maybe weren't thinking about. And, and now you're like, oh, that's that's not any better. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's kind of where we are now, and and as we've seen the most recent developments this week, it it just has, as I say, not made it any better in the eyes of the public. I think, and most of the people reacting to it. Well, absolutely not. I mean, the uh, Hockey Canada brass is going to be back on Parliament Hill speaking to the House of Commons again tomorrow. But the the first time they went there, um, I think it was important. But my reaction, and I said this on the program, 
for if Hockey Canada prepared for international hockey tournaments the way they seemingly prepared for that first visit, we would never win a medal. Um, yeah. For a, a, for an organization that seems to be so buckled down, um, it was shocking to hear what we were getting from Tom Rennie in particular and Scott Smith. I mean, at, at that point, what was your perception of how this had been handled internally? Um, and has that changed over the course of the last few weeks since that happened? Yeah, I mean, look, you're 100% right in terms of that comparison to the way they prepare to tournaments is is an apt one because this is an organization that even for, you know, a, a, an under-17 uh, national international tournament will will scout all kinds of people and will you know have sponsors for the training camps and and all kinds of stuff prepared and they've got you know coaches upon coaches and executives and all sorts of stuff for for the on ice stuff and then the way they kind of wandered into this hearing i don't know if they didn't understand that MPs are able to ask pretty pointed questions and pretty significant questions. And it's not a legal proceeding where you can just sort of go, gosh, I, I plead the fifth on this and that. So it was, hmm. it was surprising. It seems to me that they've been kind of throughout this process, not able to see what the reaction um, from the public and from their sponsors and the various other stakeholders um, was going to be. And, and I don't mean to say just from a like, oh, this is bad PR, but to say that for them to not realize that these answers weren't satisfactory and that just sort of going, yeah, we, we actually don't know who the players are and we never found out that in 2018 you know like we, how is that possible i mean that like, like, like honestly <laughs> it, it just seemed literally unbelievable yeah it, it to this day seems to me to be literally unbelievable because there's only so many people on a team um they did they do say they had a number of them who did respond did take part in the investigation that they commissioned so it shouldn't be that hard to figure out well person a b c d e g you know all responded and these are the ones who didn't like if you wanted to figure out who the alleged participants were it seems like hockey canada would be in a pretty good position to have done that so the fact that they mm -hmm. didn't uh still apparently haven't if you believe what they're saying is is just one of the many sort of like bizarre and seemingly impossible situations that they've gotten themselves into what does it say about the way they view things like this that all players were not required to participate in the investigation i mean to me it seems like uh, you know they were opening the door to try to well frankly do exactly what happened pay somebody off and make this thing go away asap yeah i i don't know um other than to say it it does seem totally bizarre it again you're talking about players at the time who were members of who, who played in the CHL, some of whom were members of a world junior team. So these, these were players who had some uh, celebrity and some leverage, I suppose, in their lives because they were talented young hockey players, but hockey Canada would have all the leverage in the world over them at that point in their careers. And they'd be able to presumably get them to do what they asked. I mean, just being, you know, or having a chance to play for a world junior team or maybe getting invited to a, a camp sometime in the future or some other Hockey Canada, you know, team, whether it was the national team or, or what have you, you'd want to stay in the organization's good books. I think we all know there are stories of players who 
who have a, a fight with a coach or a manager or something, and then they're basically out of the program and never welcome back. So they know that they need to, that this is a, a an entity that they want to keep on their good side. And it seems that the cocky Canada was in no mood to, to use that leverage over them at that time. And it seems like that would have been a very obvious thing for them to have done. Scott, um, you know, it was noteworthy coming out of the first um, time that they went to Ottawa that the uh, Sport Canada was withholding the funding. And for any other national sport organization, that would be devastating. For Hockey yeah. Canada, that essentially is almost run like a professional team, it was 6% of their budget and, you right. know, not as impactful as it would be anywhere else. Sure. And then the sponsors started dropping off. How significant has that been with the reaction of the real money behind Hockey Canada walking away, um, albeit when they'd already, you know, had these investigations going forward yeah. on the uh, in Ottawa. Yeah, I you know, clearly it, it's going to have a massive impact on their ability to do what they do. Um, so far, of course, all these things have been quote unquote frozen. You know, we're we're going to suspend our sponsorships pending proper reactions within hockey Canada. So this money could all come flooding back relatively soon. If, if, if it goes through, if it does, whatever it is, the sponsors expect them to do. Of course, the sponsors are all kind of vague in their demands because they don't really know what they, you know, it's hard to put up a list of what you want them to see do. Um, but it was certainly dried up their, their funding resources in the short term and put into peril whatever their long-term plans would be because as you say that's how they make their money it's through sponsorships it's through corporate partners it's a little bit through from government funding and then of course you have the big events like uh, world juniors or or things like that that do add a significant amount to their coffers as well so you know it's it's frankly the one thing that surprises me about it so far is that it hasn't led to significant organizational changes with Hockey Canada. You'd think that one thing that organization would do, this is what would happen in any other private business, would say, well, these people got to go, and then we'll bring in some new people, and at least then the sponsors can go, well, we're, we're willing to work with the new regime in figuring out how to go forward and so forth. So I'm kind of surprised that hasn't happened yet because you'd think the, the financial pressures are so great at this point that they'd be kind of forced into action that they might not even really want to take it. It's funny you say that about that it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that have <laughs> happened that didn't happen originally that took a little while. That's mm -hmm. probably where this ends up going, isn't it? Uh, look, I, they're scheduled uh, the 26th and 27th to be hearings on, on Parliament Hill, the return of that committee. Would it shock me if there were resignations before then? or resignations offered at that time as a way to kind of, uh, here's here's the the nugget that, that the coverage can grasp onto. Um, no, that wouldn't shock me at all. That would seem fairly logical that, that that might be where this is all going, that they plan to announce leadership changes either immediately preceding the, the, uh, the appearances on Parliament Hill or immediately following or during even you know, tomorrow's Friday. That's always a good day to get news like this out the door. So I think those things are always entirely possible. Um, and it would certainly 
make it a little easier for the corporate sponsors to eventually work their way back into the picture. Scott, I, I have to ask you about the NHL, um, the, the NHL investigation right mm -hmm. now. We've heard sort of players that have been able to one by one claim that they either were not there and had absolutely nothing to do with it. There's been other sort of lawyered up statements. Um, how do you think this goes forward and um, how much um, danger, I guess, if you will, professionally are some of the players that will eventually be identified as being part of this incident? Well, I think it, professionally, they'll have to be in some significant degree of danger, uh, again, professionally speaking specifically, because the NHL does have policies about off-ice behavior, and they have, you know, we've seen many a case where these things seem to be interpreted somewhat randomly. You know, one guy gets a significant punishment for something that happens off-ice, and another guy gets something much less. But because of the attention paid to this story, too, I mean, it's literally in Parliament Hill and in Canada, um, it's it's not going to be the kind of thing I think the NHL will take lightly. So there will be some things that will work in whichever players ultimately might be named's favor, which is that this happened quite a while ago when they were quite young. So it's not quite the same as somebody on an NHL roster allegedly doing something like this, but uh I would imagine there will be some sort of punishment if, if ultimately we get to that point in this process. Scott Stinson with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, one other thing I have to ask, and I mean, admittedly, it is very trivial can, you know, compared to some of these other things that we're talking about, but with everything that's happened with Hockey Canada sponsors, um, people, I think, have sort of forgot that this remade World Juniors is happening yeah. in just a few weeks. I mean, what become, how big of a cloud is this going to be over that tournament? It's a big one, and and I, from a specific element too, which is that it's on TSN, <laughs> and it is TSN's one of their big, you know, tentpole events of the sports calendar. It's obviously not happening, not getting on Boxing Day like we're used to it doing, but it's it's happening in this weird time of this of the calendar. But it is still a huge TSN property. Lots of people pay attention to it, and of course, it's been TSN and requested we mentioned who led a lot of the reporting on this subject. So it's going to be super awkward and I don't entirely know how they're going to handle it. I wish them luck. It's going to be a tricky one for sure. And, and I do think one thing I'll just say briefly is that I, one of the questions about this whole story is will it lead to serious reforms in junior hockey in this country on a broad sense, you know, like will people eventually realize that maybe the system we have where these young teens are being transplanted from their homes and going to far off places and living with people who aren't their parents and not necessarily making much money. And like, is this maybe perhaps part of the reason why you've, we've had all sorts of situations over the years with them. So those questions might be asked in a, in a pretty tough way between now and when that world junior tournament starts. And, and it'll be interesting to see how any of that, uh, plays into the coverage well and, and and you know just to bring it back to kind of what we've learned over the last few weeks i mean the fact that hockey canada has been sitting on this fund essentially to handle situations like this multiple times a year for a long time is maybe yeah. the most damning part of the big picture on quote unquote what's happening with hockey at the lower levels in our country yeah and that's it's one of those things where i'm i'm sure there are people in hockey canada who feel like this thing isn't nearly as bad as it sounds that that no 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 this was a fund that had all these different purposes it was for wellness and physical education and things like that and and yes one of the things it could be used for was 
to settle claims outside of the normal insurance process. But I can just tell you, if, if I was making a household budget and I had like a miscellaneous fund and I told my wife it was for like home repairs and some car things and also prostitution, uh, she would probably seize on that last one and say, uh, I don't think uh, you have a prostitution fund. And I would say, no, 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 no. That's not what it's for. It's it's for the other stuff and maybe. So anyway, I just think that I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just like the seriousness of the existence of that thing and the fact that they were willing to use it for this purpose is, I think, something that people just are not going to get easily over, even though Hockey Canada has now come out and say, oh, no, we're not going to use it for that anymore. We've realized that was not great. Well, I'll say this is uh, as horrible as this story is and sometimes tough for people to talk about. I mean, we can only hope that this is, um, you know, something that really does establish and help push forward significant change, which this hockey community and this hockey culture in Canada obviously needs. Indeed. I couldn't agree with you more. Scott, thanks so much for doing this. Always great ch chatting with you. Okay, great. Great seeing you again. All right, appreciate Scott Stinson joining us. And I am very interested to see how different, I mean, this World Junior Hockey Championship will be different just on the fact that it's in the middle of August and won't have the same, I think, um, hype around it. But everything that's happening right now with Hockey Canada sort of overshadowing, I think, this upcoming tournament as well. Uh, looking forward to bringing Murat on. We will talk Bombers and CFL with John Hodge before the end of the program as well. Hit that red subscribe button, by the way, on the YouTube feed if you haven't already here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And just before we get to Murat, got to give a big shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp, the title sponsor of the Manitoba Amateur Golf Championship. Of course, Not um, doing so many things in the community and supporting amateur golf in the province is a big part of it. Head on out to Elmhurst over the course of the next couple of days and check out all the action. And if you're looking for a new vehicle before you do anything, pop on down and see the experts at Not Autocorp. Why not get into the car of your dreams at an incredible price with the help of the Not team, Waverly and McGilvery, and check them out online at Not.ca. <clears throat> hey, weekend's just about here, folks. And there's nothing that can improve your weekend like a nice rack of little brown jug goodness. Uh, whether you want the 1919, the summer variety pack, or some of the special summer beers, including the new Folkfest lager, it's all ready for you at your local beer store. You can pick up 1919 or try 1919 at fine bars and restaurants throughout the city. But the best spot to do it is pop down and see them at the Tap Room and Brewery on William Avenue. Pint it up with your favorite little brown jug brews and take home whatever you need as well. And if you can't get down there, you can also always order online at littlebrownjug.ca with citywide delivery. Uh, our friends at Boston Pizza are back. I actually popped into BP last night with a couple friends. Very strange. Absolutely nothing on the tube. That changes tonight, though. CFL doubleheader beginning at 6 o'clock. Happy hour specials from 3 to 6 and 9 to 12. And that great summer menu as well with the carnitas, pizzas, and tacos. Check them out in person. Or if you're staying home to watch the game, check out their game day deals. And order online at bostonpizza.com. And, of course, our friends at Nick and Nicky DQ are ready for summer right now. The Bombers might be vanilla, but the best vanilla around and everything else is at Nick and Nicky DQ. Four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Check out the Reese's Pieces 
cookie dough blizzard, my personal favorite, and grab one of those stack burgers as well if you haven't tried it. And hey, if you need a DQ ice cream cake for an upcoming party or an event, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it custom made for you, ready to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. All right, John Hodge, a little later on, talking bombers. Right now, let's welcome in Murata Tesh from The Athletic. And oh, we've got a lot to talk about. Murat, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Glad to be back in the city. Um, seems like my returns coincided with a whole bunch of jet shenanigans and some hirings and things like that, too. But I'm just happy to be back. Look around. I see it. It's very, very lush here this summer is what I've realized. Yeah, it's beautiful right now. I mean, uh, you know, maybe if the season was in the summer, they'd have a better chance at keeping some of their players right now. <laughs> I'm obviously, listen, overall, the Jets have done a good job. But right now, there's some real significant challenges we'll get to. Just quickly before we're doing that, um, Brad Lauer and Marty Johnson getting the prom uh, promotion from the Moose. What did you think of the uh, rounding out of Rick Bonus's coaching staff today? Yeah, I mean, I think those should be solid. I, I don't have the deep dives ready on either guy, but I'm I'm intrigued by Lauer's experience in the WHL. I like a championship winning resume. I like uh, several years of excellence with a team that was certainly, you know, in a win now kind of window for most of that time. Um, so, you know, in as it pertains to coaches who are on their way up, Perhaps. I mean, you like to see that kind of resume on somebody. And I know that he has assistant experience in the NHL as well. Marty Johnson, I guess, you know, one of the one of the things that we didn't speculate on were Moose getting promoted in this particular situation with Nolan Baumgartner stepping into into the Moose role. So I know Johnson um, took over and did a little bit of bench work for the Jets at last season during various stretches when not everybody was available. Jamie Compon was away as well. And I guess I guess it just kind of makes sense. At this point, those aren't surprises. I reported at The Athletic a couple of weeks ago that you could probably expect Matt Prefontaine back as well in, in video and analytics work, and it looks like that happened as well. Um, I think that the real big shift in, in dimension comes from Rick Bonus, and, and then the rest we'll have to see. Now, uh, Murad, of course, uh, we had to just touch on that. But the big story that I got to give you credit, you and the the folks at The Athletic have done an amazing job covering every angle of this Pierre-Luc Dubois saga, if we want to call it that, over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, with what we've learned in the last couple of weeks, maybe we shouldn't have been surprised that that information was leaked to Elliot Friedman heading into the draft that Pierre-Luc Dubois was planning on not re-signing and testing unrestricted free agency. But everything that happened after that has been strange, I think, by any account. Um, you just simply don't see agents, especially respected agents like Pat Brisson, be so public with plans that really aren't able to be enacted for two years outside of a trade. I mean, what have you made, made of the public nature of the, uh, the squeeze that it's seeming like that the Dubois camp has been putting on the Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, I think... Let's say this off the top. It's not by accident. The going public is absolutely not by accident. It's a veteran agent. It's a, somebody with a lot of experience and a lot of clients. There is a tremendous amount of strategic thinking behind it. And whether the Dubois camp gets its wishes or not, time will tell. But if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois and you've made it known you know, within, within circles that are close to you that playing for Montreal is your dream. And I had been hearing that since... Roughly the end of the season, 
Um, so when Elliot Freeman was reporting that Winnipeg might have a trouble signing Dubois long, long term, that tracked, that completely tracked. This is something that I think he's privately held and has not been too shy about saying for a while. And that's something we've heard for a little bit. But this idea to go public with it and the idea to go public with it on television in Quebec um, with Pat Brisson speaking this is strategy. And if you're that camp, you're trying to figure out a way to accelerate Dubois' arrival in Montreal. Certainly, waiting until 2024, signing as an unrestricted free agent, that remains viable. That might be what we end up seeing, depending on what happens in the next couple of years, though I think we'll see resolution before that. If you're that camp, though, you got to worry about everybody's incentives in the piece. And, you know, Montreal has made trade offers for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, they have shown interest at the draft, after the draft, after the Kirby Dock acquisition, in days following that. And we know that that interest continues. The item is that Winnipeg hasn't seen a price that it likes. And Winnipeg knows that Pierre-Luc Dubois is a restricted free agent under team control. So how are you going to apply pressure to that? How are you going to make Winnipeg want to accept a lesser deal from one city? Well, one one option is to try to make it clear to all 30 other cities that well, this guy only wants to end up in one place. So you probably best not give your grade A trade packages because in two years, he's ending up in Montreal anyways. At the very best, he's a two-year rental for you. Uh, so so back off. That makes Montreal's deal a little bit more appealing. And then, of course, it also comes with the public pressure of everybody in Montreal talking about it and everybody in Winnipeg talking about it. And you better believe that the pinch point that will be or could be um, training camp is going to be talked about every day there too. So he's trying to ride the public pressure into making Shovel Day off do something maybe earlier than he would otherwise plan on doing. You know, um, like I mean, I certainly understand that the Winnipeg Jets knew the plans of Pierre Luc Dubois before Pat Brisson went to the media in Quebec. How do you think that this changes Kevin Shovel Day's position or options right now, or does it? I mostly think it doesn't. Kevin Shoveldayoff has a long history of being patient through situations just like this, just as annoying, just as thorn in the side, just as publicly known. I mean, Evander Kane's desire to play elsewhere, that wasn't a secret, was it? Jacob Truba, 2016, doesn't play for the first couple months, signs, plays out the rest of his days, and then gets traded for Neil Pionk. You have um, Andrew Kopp getting a big return this most recent trade deadline. Uh, you have the Patrick Lanning and Jack Roslovic situations, which were are the reason that Winnipeg gets to have a Pierre-Luc Dubois problem at all right now. Uh, Chevaldeoff has a pretty good track record. The problem is how often Chevaldeoff gets backed into a corner. It's not how he performs from within that corner. He's done just fine. Um, and so I think that he'll probably double down on his stubbornness in this situation. All he owes his team is either a healthy, happy, productive Pierre-Luc Dubois or the best possible trade return for that player. And as much as I can say, and as much as I believe, that what Brisson is doing is devaluing Dubois' trade value to other teams around the league, I equally believe that Chevaldeoff is stubborn as it can get and patient as it can get. And there are pinch points and moments that happen over the course of a season. Come trade deadline, come January, come November, a, a team that thinks it's contending has major injury trouble or has a has a hole, um, has cap space that they're building up throughout the season like Winnipeg used to do when it acquired Paul Stastny and then Kevin Hayes. There are times when teams, even recognizing that there's a two-year rental sort of possibility here on this player, 
are going to be inclined to offer more than you know what I believe Montreal would be offering right now. Now, uh, earlier this week, and was it Monday? Uh, was the deadline for teams to decide whether the team wanted to elect for arbitration. And we were just talking with Pat Steinberg about the Calgary situation and how they went ahead and elected team arbitration on their part for Matthew Kachuk. The Jets didn't do that. Um, why do you think they didn't do that? And when you look at the choices on either side, um, does it make sense to to leave this situation more open-ended as opposed to getting the clarity that they would have with an arbitration hearing or a deal done before you went to the room? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so I, I sort of step back and look at what happens by not taking Pierre-Luc Dubois to arbitration. The option of an offer sheet is still on the table. Um, Montreal would be the most likely team, although there are reasons to think they'd be hesitant. They don't have a ton of cap space. They need to wait until, they need to wait a little bit um, to be sure about where what Carey Price's situation is going to be next year. And of course, there are those who think that even with Dubois and even with, uh, you know, whatever other additions they make, uh, Montreal Canadiens first round pick is probably a lottery pick and maybe something that they'd be hesitant to give up. So in a sense, by not taking that option away, which Winnipeg could have done, they may be saying, OK, go ahead, try us like, you know, we, we're not as threatened by the possibility as you might have wanted to make it seem by not filing for arbitration yourself. The other thing that comes along with that is that whoever takes, whoever files for arbitration, it's the other party that gets to choose the length of deal. And Dubois would have had a choice. He could have chosen two years, which walk him straight to unrestricted free agency. Um, that might have been unpalatable for Winnipeg. He could have chosen one year in an attempt to have another big year and negotiate again. Um, I, I'm not sure to what effect, uh, sort of to what impact that, that that happens. I do think that Winnipeg, if if they're really doubling down on themselves, and I'm not sure that they are, they might yet believe or try to sell themselves on thinking that they could um, either re-sign him to term at some point, perhaps next summer, or even sign him to a, a much more palatable deal than arbitration or otherwise could get in an effort to make him uh, a better trade piece for for teams as well. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I talked about it with Rennie yesterday, and I mean, he said, you know, in his opinion, it was sort of a way to de-escalate the situation because in a lot of ways, um, as you kind of laid out, I think it's highly unlikely that there is a deal that knocks Kevin off socks off and he makes before we get to training camp, which makes the public nature of the request or whatever we want to call what Patrick Patterson said, his intentions that much stranger because all I think it's done in a lot of ways, it hasn't changed the situation for Winnipeg at all. They knew what the story was, but man, has it changed the public view of Pierre-Luc Dubois amongst Jet fans. And Marat, you know how split and divided this fan base was through last season at the end of the year. Ironically, this is the one thing that has sort of brought Jet fans together and has people on the same page that this team should not be taken advantage of by an agent or the Montreal Canadiens. And I think there's a lot of support with Kevin Sheveldayoff doing whatever it takes and as long as it takes to make sure that the Winnipeg Jets get full value for a player that they traded Patrick Line for. Well, everything lines up, doesn't it? Everything lines up about this. You have the idea that he's doing this for the second time at age 24. And even if his reasons for wanting out of Columbus were simply that he was trying he thought he might be able to get to Montreal that time, for example. Even if it's something as mundane as he wants to play in a particular city, to do this twice by 24 with an NHL culture is so unusual. 
And to have an agent go as public as he did, trying to generate pressure. That's what he's trying to do is trying to generate pressure. Well, Dubois is wearing that. Dubois is wearing the fallout of that, which is a huge turn from perception at the end of the season when he seemed to be saying all of the right things and he'd had a really strong season. He was more consistent than Mark Scheifele was. There were there were reasons to think, okay, well, he's the future. He's the future. Well, I mean, clearly that's not necessarily the case. But I think the thing that stands out to me the most, if you're Winnipeg, that just makes this the perfect, well, like, you know, back off scenario is that Pierre-Luc Dubois, big time agent. Pat Brisson, one of the biggest there is. Montreal, one of the biggest markets there is. Big city. There's a, there's an attempt at bullying here is what it is because Sheveldayev doesn't have to do anything. Winnipeg doesn't have to do anything that doesn't serve itself, but this pressure from an outside source. And I think Winnipeg's sick of that. Winnipeg has seen it in other capacities and other situations Winnipeg saw, okay, well, we'll lose Evander Kane, but in the future, things will be good. Well, and also maybe some Winnipeg fans were happy to see that that chaos go. Um, but then the same thing with Jacob Truba. Okay, well, we'll lose him, but I mean, Villa Hanel is going to be great and he'll get a lot of big minutes and everything's going to be great, won't won't it? And then Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic as well. There's a certain point where it's just like enough of this shit, like enough of it. Um, and I, I feel like that's what's really galvanized the fan base in this is that, there was an expectation that finally that story had changed and to have it come in this particular manner after the season that Winnipeg just had, after all that, you know, what Paul Stastny said, how Mark Shifley played, all that sort of stuff, drama. It's just like, who needs this? And I think that the attitude that I've seen, at least in the comments section is, well, who needs this trouble? Who needs Dubois? Like, go go fill your, fill your boots. Yeah, um, and, and I guess, and I mean, certainly from a team and organizational perspective, I think it is absolutely imperative that they don't appear not only to their fan base, but also to the other 30 GMs in the league that they can be strong-armed or bullied into doing something that they don't want and absolutely can't, you know, get three quarters for a loony, if you know what I'm saying, in in that sort of a trade. Um, And if anything, it galvanizes the position. It makes for a very interesting period heading into training camp. And certainly we'll see what the reception for Dubois is, assuming that he's on the ice for the Winnipeg Jets when things get going, presuming that he has a deal. But Marat, it always seemed like the intentions of the organization were to move past last year with the majority of this group and see if they can get back to where they think that they should be. And that is a playoff team and a team that can compete in the central division. We had huge questions about Blake Wheeler, about Mark Shifley, about the defense core. This Dubois thing has sort of come out, well, certainly not come out of nowhere, I think, for the organization. But the fact that this is now as public as it is, it is on everyone's mind. And you've got this two-year window that, in my opinion, is really a one-year window, so you don't end up being the Calgary Flames. It'll happen to Johnny Gaudreau. Do you think there's any chance that What's happening right now, and specifically the Dubois situation, maybe has the Jets considering changing course earlier than they had originally planned? I wonder about that, because he's supposed to be the window extender, right? The guy that would come up kind of underneath, um, you know, from behind Mark Shifley, take over the number one job at some point and and go forward from there that season he just had with kyle connor and then whoever you played with him that was a dominant line and it's easy to watch that year and say okay well so what the guys voiced privately some opinions that he'd love to play for montreal you know what like there's a lot of people who'd love to play in a lot of places as long as he more or less keeps that to himself and he more or less performs as he did 
I think Winnipeg can handle that. That's a that's a completely acceptable thing if the results are there and the attitude is there. The worry now after it becoming so public is there's an element of, well, what if he starts dogging it? And I, I don't think that that's as realistic as people are making it seem based on the shift in Columbus. But that's a possibility, to be sure. Um, another kind of comment just on on camp. We've seen... We've seen so many situations like this where then people go to camp and everybody acts as if everything's okay, right? Like in the month leading up to Patrick Liney being traded, everything was great. Um, in the Jacob Truba between 2016 when he was eventually traded, everything was great. So if he does show up at camp with a contract of any kind and he plays hockey and you know they score a couple goals, let's not pretend that it has to end here and now. But... Um, to your point about the idea of changing routes, Winnipeg has to pick a lane, and that's something that they haven't necessarily done. I think some of their hesitation to pick a lane is based on not knowing how this Dubois scenario is going to play out, whether it's going to be a trade next year, whether it's going to be a trade before that, whether Chevy can pull a rabbit out of his hat and get a Dubois light or a Dubois-esque player as well. Because if they can, they can sort of proceed as if, you know, it, hmm. If you can pluck Nick Suzuki out of Montreal, which I don't think is going to happen, you can proceed as you were going to anyway. Okay, you've got a great young center, but without a real home run with that deal, then you have to start wondering, well, what is this window to compete? What does it look like? What does it take to build behind Nikolai Ehlers, Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, and treat anybody from a window older than that as well? Kind of yesterday's news. Like, are they headed for a rebuild? They're certainly not acting like one, but that, that could be a viable option. How do you think what's happened in the last two weeks in Calgary is resonating in the Jets front office? <laughs> I mean, what what can you even say? First of all, I don't think Kachuk has any interest in Winnipeg, but wouldn't that be a fun story um, <laughs> to go through that draft again, even one more layer? Um, I think here's like I hear a lot of woe is Winnipeg, small market, all this sort of stuff, and like sometimes it's it's true. You can point to objective things like. You know, no movement clauses. Winnipeg would be a common choice. That's real. That's been measured. That's been polled. All that sort of stuff. But there's also um, the aspect that it can happen to anybody. It's happening to Calgary right now. It happens in bigger markets all the time as well. In unique individual cases, Winnipeg's issue is that it's happened so much at this point that now you have people in this sort of like culture shock being like, hey, we should only draft players from 100 miles of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, so that this never happens again. And I think that the ultimate the ultimate um, plan, should this team get through this moment, is to just zoom out and focus on building a quality hockey club and a quality organization. Because back in 2017-18, when they were going to the Western Conference Final, you know, they were, uh, they were a team that players wanted to play on. And they were a team that, Whatever the issues were, they were able to bury them and, and sort of perform and compete. So I think, I mean, that's just a rant that has nothing to do with Calgary in a way, but I think they've definitely taken notice. And I think that it's important that they respond to it in a way that's a little bit more holistic than knee jerk. Um, you know, with all the focus on Dubois, um, less people are talking about Wheeler, but that situation hasn't changed as well as the glut on the blue line. Um, you know, where's your confidence level that something will happen over the course of the next six weeks or whatever before we get to camp that this team will look significantly different? And man, if it doesn't, how much of that is on Rick Bonus's shoulders, fairly or unfairly, to go in and be a bit of a miracle worker with a magic wand in that room? 
Yeah, I mean, I understand that Winnipeg's worked pretty hard to trade Blake Wheeler. Everything short of retaining a substantial amount of salary. They made offers. Those conversations happen. I think that that relationship is done. Or um, the hope is that that relationship isn't done and a clean break can be made. Um, and he had a pretty good year last year on the ice. He's a middle six player at the age that he is and can do some unique things. Coming out of that injury, he was attacking the offensive zone in ways that are actually kind of new for Blake Wheeler. The way he was reading the ice and the lanes he was taking, there were some interesting things going on there. And to come out, to end that way would be fine. But I think that that relationship is to the point where they're still seeking to trade him. Um I'm not sure to what degree having Dubois as a front burner issue is is slowing up those works. I really think it's just that he has $8.25 million on his contract, and that takes uh, that takes work, especially when there are expensive players still available on the market, whether that's a Nazem Kadri or Matthew Kachuk or whomever else that's going to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, one more for you as far as Dubois goes. Um, how do you see this playing out? Uh, when is the most, like, I think we can all agree it's most likely that Dubois gets traded at some point. When do you think that happens? I continue to believe, I mean, there's, there's pinch points. Camp is one option and Montreal has a little bit of a history of starting trade talks at the draft and consummating them right at camp. Uh, Max Pacioretty being an example there. I'm not sure that that means anything here, but camp with the public pressure will be a mini pinch point. I think as it pertains to this, I'm not expecting an offer sheet, but anything in around there, we'll see. Trade deadline makes sense to me, depending on where the team is. And then if if he's a Winnipeg Jet by the end of next summer, I'll be shocked. I'll be absolutely shocked. So those are the three areas of time that I'm looking for is the most likely. And I think as like I think that he has a little bit of control here by just being willing. It seems like that camp is being willing to go to the extreme to make its case. Um, but at the end of the day, Chevy has the cards. I mean, you can just let him sit there if he needs to. Uh, hey, before we go, as I mentioned, folks, make sure to check out the extended piece in The Athletic with both Marat and Arpon Basu, as well as the podcast, uh, L'Athletic Support, I believe, if I'm saying that properly. It is in English. I thought it might be in French, but I gave it a shot. Really great stuff. I imagine that you'll have uh, much more on this as it develops, as well as everything else with the Jets offseason that uh, – is the gift that keeps on giving, I guess, for us in the media? Yeah, you know, I'd like to take about three days off at some point. So, uh, I mean, hopefully they can calm their business together and, and have it all shake out. But, yeah, thanks so much, Us. Thanks for doing this, pal. We'll look forward to getting uh, back together with you again this week. Uh, have a great one. And, of course, folks, if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? Some great content from Marat and the Athletic team on the Dubois saga and, of course, everything else going around in the NHL offseason. All right, we are going to flip over to a little CFL doubleheader tonight. Bombers and Elks tomorrow with John Hodge. Just before we do that, don't forget Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers. Welcome you and all Bomber fans to the Princess Auto tailgate area before each and every Winnipeg Blue Bombers game. A couple hours beforehand, DJ Finesse spinning, $5 beers, $3.50 hot dogs and drinks. Great prizes from the Princess Auto team. It is the place to be before each and every Blue Bomber game. And of course, in addition to being great sponsors of the Bombers, Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road, or Portage Avenue West or shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. Well, you've seen the 
CC and Ginger at the Bomber Games. Hopefully you've picked up a six-pack at your local Manitoba Liquor Mart or beer store. A couple other spots you might want to uh, try one this weekend is out at Super Spike at Maple Grove Rugby Park or down in Morden at the Stampede. Lots going on this weekend. Of course, Canadian Club proud sponsors of both of those events. Get on out. Enjoy the weekend, and especially Super Spike. This is an event I've been involved with before. Absolutely. Uh, one of the most fun weekends of the year. And, um, you know, with the uh, partying and the volleyball that's going on, when you need to, when you need a refresher, try the new CC and Ginger if you haven't already. And of course, all Canadian Club products available at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And hey, had a nice night at Assiniboy Downs, made up a bit of ground that I'd lost to Michael Remus earlier this week. No live racing until Monday, but of course, you can bet on horse tracks around the world before Assiniboy Downs gets going again on Monday at hpibet.com. And if you haven't already tried the world-famous Prime Rib Buffet they've got going on, check out asdowns.com or give them a call at 885-3330 and make a reservation to get out there for live racing next week at Assiniboia Downs. We'll do cool bet lines a little later on, but let's get ready for CFL kickoff tonight and welcome in John Hodge from Three Down Nation. John, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's funny you mentioned Morden. I'm in beautiful Morden, Manitoba, right now, visiting uh, some family. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to our chat. Beautiful. Well, um, first off, let's just talk about the Bombers. A um, couple big names on the uh, injured list for this game: Greg Ellingson, who was just phenomenal last week, uh, and of course Jackson Jeffcoat, a huge impact player. What do we know about the injuries, and how do you think that's going to affect things going in against uh, an Edmonton team that was obviously a huge home underdog to begin with? Well, I think it's going to have a, a large effect on the game. We'll, we'll start with Ellingson because I think this is the one that's really going to hurt the Blue Bombers. All due respect to Jackson Jeffcoat, fantastic player, but he was out week one. And and I thought that Cedric Wilcox, who's going to start there, um, uh, handled things perfectly fine. They've got Mac as well, a couple of rookies. And, of course, they've got Willie Jefferson coming out the other side of the defensive line. To me, the receiving core is the question mark because Dalton Schoen's had a great rookie season. Outside of that, this receiving core has not been able to produce consistently. Greg Ellingson currently leads the CFL in receptions and in receiving yards. And part of the reason, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's had a fantastic season. He's having a career year at the age of 33. And Zach Kolaris has obviously rekindled that chemistry that they had together with the Hamilton Tiger Cats back in 2014. But part of the reason his numbers are so high is because I don't think that the remaining players in Winnipeg's receiving core have done quite enough stepping up to fill the void left by Kenny Lawler. I think that probably the best example is Rasheed Bailey, who took a lot of steps going into 2021 in the slot. He has since taken over Darvin Adams' position at boundary wide receiver, and I'm not sure that he has been nearly as effective at the boundary wide spot as he was in the slot. So if I'm the Edmonton Elks, I am extremely excited that Greg Ellingson is not making his return to Edmonton mm -hmm. this week where he played well last season. To me, that is the question mark because Zach Kolaris, let's not forget, he targeted Ellingson 14 times last week. Like I, I, I even thought there were times that he should have been looking elsewhere. Generally he was open, but there are a couple of times Zach Kolaris really forced the ball into Ellingson. There was one particular throw over the middle, almost got picked off. Ellingson was in triple coverage, and Kolaris was still looking for him. Um, to me, that means that he's not trusting the rest of the receiving core as much as he needs to. 
And so that to me is the concerning one going into the game tomorrow for Winnipeg because Ellingson has been their best offensive weapon by far this season. He's not making the trip. You know, uh, I was talking to Marshall Ferguson earlier this week, and he pointed out that Ellingson has 24% of the targets this year, which is far and away the most in the Canadian Football League. And you know, it really just backs up your point that it has sort of been all Ellingson and shown. And the surprising thing is these are the two new players on the team. I mean, where's Rashid Bailey, Wolitarski? We know Nick Dembski is out right now. Um, if anything, I thought it might be reversed considering the continue you had from some of those players and some new guys coming in. But Sean's been a revelation. And I mean, Ellingson, we knew what he was capable of with all of those thousand yard seasons. But the reliance on him right out of the gate was a surprise. And that poses a significant challenge going into Edmonton tomorrow night. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, you know, full credit to him for playing mm. for playing extremely well. Zach Kolaris, you know, is obviously having another fantastic season. I think if you had to vote for MOP right now, Nathan Work is probably the number one guy, but Zach Kolaris would probably be number two on my ballot. He has played very, very well, but you know, distributing the football is a key thing that that any any competent quarterback needs to be able to do. Zach Kolaris has distributed the football to some regard, but I think he needs to do it a little bit more, and he's going to be forced to do it on Friday night at Commonwealth Stadium. To me, Rashid Bailey is the number one guy who's got to step up. I'm also interested to see how Carlton Agadosi continues his play. Last week, he had five catches in the first half with a big touchdown, and then the second half, he, he went quiet until the fourth quarter when he had a second touchdown catch. He also looked to be out of gas. He almost had uh, you know, an 80-yard uh, corner touchdown reception. He, he he was wide open on the road and seemed to kind of give up on it. I don't know if he was gassed or what the deal was, but you know, in his second career start, you know, obviously I'm sure Bomber fans are looking for him to repeat his first half, uh, not so much maybe the second half. So it's a big test for this receiving core. The good news is Edmonton secondary is in a constant state of flux. They cut Jalen Collins, who started the first five games of the year for them at boundary corner. They're making all kinds of adjustments back there. Jerron Carter had to make his debut as the backup safety, but I think they're going to work him in in a whole bunch of ways. So I think there will be opportunities for Winnipeg to take advantage, and it's time for some of those secondary receivers to step up. I, I'm not sure if I read this wrong, but 10 new players in for Edmonton this game. I mean, the revolving door, we've always talked about Chris Jones, how he'll move guys in and out, but... I mean, the rate at guys are joining and leaving the Edmonton Elks is uh, crazy, even in Chris Jones standards. Well, I did the math after I think it was week four and the number of players who had been in training camp for Edmonton and started in the same spot each week on defense was two. Two players had started every game in the same spot who were also in training camp. Uh, Tristan Deku and Jalen Collins were both actually in training camp with Toronto. They started the first four games of the season for Edmonton. Collins just got released, but they have had an unbelievable rate of change. I believe they are on their fourth starting safety with Scott Hutter. I think they've started just, if you look at, at weak side and, and, and Mike linebacker, I think they've had nine combined starters. And I think on the D line, they've had something like 14 different players start games in those four spots. I don't have my, my charts in front of me, but the, the rate of change is unbelievable. And I've had conversation with, conversations with people about that. And they said, look, this is what Jones did 
in Saskatchewan when he took over that team as the head coach and general manager in 2016. But the difference was in 2016, there was no XFL. There was no USFL where players either in the States were on rosters or they were waiting for their next opportunity. It's like, well, I'm not going to sign a two-year contract in Canada and be tied up up north and, and not be able to take advantage of the USFL because we've seen guys who played in the USFL, their season just recently ended, sign NFL contracts for the 2022 season. The XFL is going to fire up in March and those guys are going to be able to sign NFL contracts for the 2023 season. So the talent on the streets is not what it was back in 2016. And I think that's part of the reason that maybe Edmonton's been off to a little bit of a slower start, simply because cutting guys left, right, and center only works if you can replace them with guys who are as good or better. And the talent pool that's available is just not the same as it was due to the competition from other startup leagues down south. I want to ask you about a couple things of the rest of the league, but just finishing up off the Bombers. Uh, what do we know about Mac, who's coming in on the defensive side with the uh, Jackson Jeffcoat out, and uh, Tavares Jackson, who gets uh, activated at wide receiver? Yeah, I, I mean, Mac is dressed for all six games. I think he's got a, a he's he's certainly had a a solid push off the side, and I mean. When you play along the defensive line, stats are often not the best way to illustrate the impact that you've made. LB Mack has, has, at least to my eye, consistently generated somewhat of a pass rush. Is he Jackson Jeffcoat? No. But I look today, he has recorded exactly zero tackles uh, and zero sacks through six games. He's yet to make the stat sheet in any of those contests. And so I, I do think that the Bombers will miss Jeffcoat. Though, again, when you've got Willie Jefferson coming off the other side, You've got uh, Casey Sales, Jake Thomas making plays coming up the middle. I think that does take some pressure off Mac, and he's going to be rotating with Cedric Wilcott, who I think has also done a good job of generating a pass rush, though that hasn't necessarily reflected on the stat sheet. As for this rookie receiver, I, I do think the starter will be Janarian Grant. At least that's what the club has on their depth chart. Um, in that slot back position, vacated by Greg Ellingson. As for their the, this new receiver, who's drafted. I didn't know who he was when I saw him on the depth chart today. I looked him up. He hasn't dressed for a game since 2019 when he was still in college at FAU. So I don't know a lot about him. He was not a dominant receiver in college. He had 1,200 yards for his career down with the Owls. So I'm interested to see what he can do. Six foot three, 190 pounds, runs a four, five, eight. So decent speed uh, with, with some nice size. And it's interesting how, especially with him coming in, you know, Carlton Agadosi at six foot six. Suddenly, Zach Galaris has some bigger targets to throw to. So I'm wondering if that might impact the game plan a little bit. You maybe lose a little bit of speed uh, in places, uh, but you have some more size. Though, of course, if Janarian Grant's in the game, he's probably the fastest player on the field. So I think the offense will look very different tomorrow with Ellingson out. And I'm interested to see what Buck Pierce has cooked up because. Some of these guys are still relative mm -hmm. mysteries, not just to us, but also to the defensive coordinators that are trying to scheme against this offense. So it's possible that maybe tomorrow the Bombers will be able to catch Chris Jones and company off guard at times. John Hodge, a three-down nation with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Bombers and Elks kicking off 8 p.m. tomorrow on TSN. Winnipeg time, our pal Dustin Nielsen will have the call on that. It's a doubleheader tonight, but... The, the most noteworthy and newsworthy spot all week has been Regina 
First off, I mean, I don't know if you want to touch on the Duke Williams suspension. I still have no idea how he played in that game last week. Um, but big issues for COVID. We haven't really heard about that in sports for a long time. It's happening with the Riders. This game has been pushed back now to Sunday. Um, what do you make of this rematch between Toronto and Saskatchewan and what the Riders are dealing with COVID-wise, as well as the obvious injuries that Cody Fajardo has been dealing with? I mean, he seems to be really hampered over the course of these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't know who in Winnipeg has some type of Saskatchewan Rough Riders voodoo doll, but whoever has it has been doing a bang-up job torturing that thing over the last couple of weeks. You have the Garrett Marino four-game suspension that really tainted that win over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Then you had COVID come in before Touchdown Atlantic. The Riders had their first two cases of COVID, one player and one staff member, on July 12th before they traveled out east. And then You've got Duke Williams swinging the helmet at Shaq Richardson, just about taking Ryan Dinwiddie's head off with the throw. He's since been suspended. And by the way, Huz, you talk about how he played in that game. This is my speculation, but you're the CFL. You've just invested all this time and money spending three weeks in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, population 5,000, getting this stadium ready to house 11,000 people, 10,800 fans, plus staff and media for that game. Are you going to eject Duke Williams, arguably the biggest star in that Riders offense outside of Cody Fajardo five minutes before kickoff? The answer is no. I think that's the reason why he played. I know Matthew Shinetti reported that the league at the time said, well, the incident broke up pretty quick. It wasn't so bad. He plays. <laughs> well, guess what? They've now reviewed it. And suddenly it's worthy of a, of, of a suspension. Crazy. Um, so to me, that that has to be the reason that he played. Uh, was simply they wanted to showcase the best athletes possible. And to Duke Williams' credit, he made a great touchdown catch in the second half. To Duke Williams' discredit, he did something before the game that was violent and moronic and should have had him ejected before the game even started. In in my opinion, the suspension was well-warranted. We can't have players throwing helmets at opponents. I don't care that Shaq Richardson came across midfield. You, you fine him for doing that. That's not justifying the throwing of a helmet. But the Riders, absolutely snake-bitten. Cody Fajardo, is, his knee is obviously getting worse. He continues to talk about it each week in the media, explaining that it feels worse. I think one of his problems is the left knee is obviously exposed all the time when you're a right-handed quarterback. And everybody knows what the injury is. They, they can see the brace on that left knee. And the Riders really needed to sit him down. Brandon McGuire wrote about this for us for three down. They needed to sit him down two, three weeks ago for one game just to get it back up to snuff because now they've got two games and then a bye. You probably have to sit him for both, sit him up for the bye, and then after that month off, maybe he's ready to come back. But it's bad. And then the COVID thing. They're up to 10 players with COVID. They signed three Canadians, two of which they cut in training camp today. And I think the only reason they did that is because they realized, well, for Sunday's games, the game's now been postponed from Saturday to Sunday. We don't have enough bodies to play this game. Even promoting guys from the PR, we just need to fill the roster and get guys in. So things went from bad with the Garrett Marino suspension to truly off. I mean, the, the team's still four and two. The record's pretty good, but this isn't the East Division where eight and ten is going to get you a home playoff game this year. This is the West, and right now. Even nine and nine, Saskatchewan's going to be that fourth seed. Yeah, the crossover, I believe, and yeah. and so it it's bad, Huss. It's bad. Yeah, they certainly look quite vulnerable. And that game that opened up as a six and a half point spread 
is now down to two and a half with the, all the momentum going towards Toronto. Um, want to ask you about these games tonight. Someone's got to win. Alouettes, Ottawa Red Blacks. How much pressure do you think Lapo's under right now? Um, you know, with what is it, three and sixteen now as the uh, head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks? And I mean, we saw early on, and frankly, we could say this about both teams. They have been the authors of their own demise. I mean, the lack of discipline on both of these teams and the penalties and the way they have shot themselves in the foot has been an ongoing story. It ended up in some ways costing Kahari Jones his job. Um, but I'd imagine this is a huge game for Ottawa and especially our old pal Paul Lapolice. I think I think it's a huge game for both sides. Let, let's start with the Red Blacks. I mean, Paul Lapolice, I think, is a brilliant offensive mind. He's an excellent play caller. He's a great schemer. We saw it firsthand for many years in Winnipeg, him conducting that offense with a variety uh, of quarterbacks at the helm, always successful. Um, he has not done a great job as their head coach, needless to say. Uh, I think you can blame the personnel for a lot of that in 2019. Well, guess what? The personnel is is not bad anymore. The personnel is good enough to win, and they're 0-5. And yes, Jeremiah Masoli got hurt but they were 0-4 with Jeremiah Masoli at the helm. They should have won week one. They ran into issues in Winnipeg with clock management. They lost that game. And even at, like, like they haven't always looked bad, but, but they, they make that critical mistake. And, and oftentimes, <laughs> let's also, let's, let's be honest, a lot of it has been the decision-making by the head coach. The issue has been, you know, kicking a field goal instead of, instead of punting or vice versa. Or the issue has been they didn't call a timeout and they lost the opportunity to kick a field goal. At the end of the half, they have made mental errors more so than the players have been in the wrong place on the field. I mean, Caleb Evans, I think, looked good enough last week to win, though they also took zero penalties last week. Zero penalties. They were not assessed a penalty that whole game against Hamilton, and they got five takeaways and still found a way to lose. I I don't know how you lose a game. (laughs) You don't take a penalty, and you win the turnover battle by three. I, I can't remember ever seeing that in my time covering this league or watching this league as a fan. Um, so they, this is a must win. I don't think La Police's job is necessarily in doubt for this year. I think part of the reason why is I don't think there's anybody on that offensive uh, coaching staff that can run the offense without him. And the only free agent available who could do it, Kahari Jones, just joined the Hamilton Tiger Cats as a football operations consultant. So I think La Police will be there for the rest of the year. But unless this team is able to rattle off a bunch of wins without Jeremiah Masoli, because he's going to be out for the next two or three months, I do think that Paul Apolice is coaching for his job and he's going to have to, he's going to have to get to 500 and it was to playoff game. In my opinion, if he's going to hold on to it, the Alouette side, I think Danny Machocha has a ton of egg on his face because he fired Kahari Jones, basically blaming the team's lack of discipline on Kahari Jones. Well, last week they come out 13 penalties for 193 yards hmm. in his debut. And I was not in the locker room, obviously, but they played, the, the sound off, you know, his pregame speech to his team on TSN. And the atmosphere in that locker room, to me, this is just my perception, but it didn't look to me like a bunch of guys were fired up to play for their new coach. I saw that too. I, I thought the exact same thing, John. It was the vibe seemed awkward. It seemed clumsy. It, it, it the vibe was like, you know, the, these players lost their, their beloved head coach and they're kind of going through the motions for the new guy. That's the vibe that I got from that situation, which is not a recipe for success. This team is one and four. Yes, they play in the East, so they're not that far out of first place. But 
I think this is a must win for both sides because Danny Machoch has already got egg on his face and I think he needs a win to clean some of that up going into week eight. Next well, week. I mean, it was an epic choke job um, that, that lost last game and we can't forget, I mean, the big comeback against Toronto and then the missed kick by Beattie. I mean, this team should be three and two. They've certainly played better than most of their counterparts in the East, but hasn't shown up in the win column. Um, Ticats got off the schneid with that win. They got to travel all the way out to BC, and this game has seen a huge push. It was seven open. I think I'm seeing 11 and a half right now. No surprise that I think people uh, believe in the BC Lions, despite the fact of that loss to Winnipeg. They've had the extra day of rest, but um, do you think Hamilton can be competitive in this game, or is this uh, people going to be going to bed early uh, in the third quarter thinking that this one's done? I don't think it's going to be a crazy blowout, but I do think that the Lions will win this game. And even at 11 points, I think there's a reasonable chance that they cover. It is so hard in this gigantic, beautiful country of ours to fly all the way across it on a short week. Like Hamilton just played on Saturday in that win over Ottawa. They're playing tonight, which to me is unfair. If there's one thing that the CFL needs to do with their scheduling, and I appreciate it's tough with nine teams, an odd number of teams across a big country. I get it. It's not easy. But we have to stop under any circumstances forcing teams to play short weeks while traveling. It's one thing to tra- you know, travel from, let's say, Hamilton to Toronto or Hamilton to uh, Ottawa on a short week. But to fly all the way to Vancouver, that's, that's like five or six hours of air travel with, uh, you know, four days rest between games, one practice. It's just not fair. Um, Winnipeg was able to do it, right, in, in, in week number five. They went to Vancouver on a short week. They won. To me, that's the most impressive win I've seen this regular season and maybe the most impressive regular season win I've seen in years. It's it's darn near impossible to travel a long distance on a short week and win. The Bombers did it. I don't think the Thai Cats will do it. That said, I think the number one thing holding the Ticats back was turnovers. They led the league and still lead the league with 20 turnovers this season. That's an average of four per game. Dane Evans has lost five fumbles. He's tied for the league lead in interceptions with eight, tied with Nick Arbuckle now with Ottawa. Um, so to me, if the Ticats can just control the turnovers, this game tonight will be a respectable score but they're going to need to build a, a big early lead, I think, to win because inevitably come the third and fourth quarters, they're not going to have the wind. They're not going to have their legs like they would if they weren't on a short week, especially with BC coming off a bye. The Lions are going to be fresh. Their legs are going to be fresher in that fourth quarter. They're going to have their wind. If the Ticats are going to win, you got to protect the football. you got to have a good start, get out to an early lead that you can hopefully protect as the game goes on. John, great stuff. Can't wait for the doubleheader tonight and tomorrow's game between the Bombers and Elks. Of course, we'll have to wait an extra day. We'll get a 5 p.m. game on Sunday to finish it off, assuming it goes ahead between the Riders and the Argos. Fill people in on uh, what you and the gang have cooking over at 3-Down heading into the week. Well, we always have our picks the first day of the week, uh, or the CFL week. And, and we're also picking this season, not just the game straight up. We're also picking against the spread. I think the hottest pick of the week is by myself. I've got Edmonton winning on Friday. I'm Whoa! prepared to eat my own hat if the Bombers win, but it's a gut feeling, and that gut feeling was validated today when Greg Ellingson and Jackson Jeffcoat were ruled out. I don't think Edmonton's the better team, but the Bombers are not going to finish 18-0. and 
they're going to they're going to lose at some point. Every team does. Just ask the 2007 New England Patriots. You're going to lose at some point. Why not Friday? So that's my hot hot take and you can check out 3 Down Nation for all kinds of other news in and around the CFL. I hope to have you back on the show next week going, what the hell were you thinking and talking about a big bomber <laughs> win? We'll see what happens. Hey, keep up the great work. Uh, it's a daily spot for me and so many of our listeners really enjoy all the content you and the gang have over there, John. Thanks for doing this. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Enjoy both games tonight and have a great weekend. My pleasure, Huss. Anytime. Great stuff. Follow him on Twitter, folks, at John D. Hodge, and make sure you're checking out the uh, daily content on the Canadian Football League over at 3 Down Nation. All right, let's get Remus back in here uh, because before we finish up the show, we should check out the lines for our friends over at Cool Bet. We've got some baseball games back today. Actually, a couple games already underway. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Where do we got the Blue Jays? Oh, I guess the Blue Jays need... Uh, Another day off before they get back, but a pretty full slate of games this evening. But let's get to the Canadian Football League because we have had some line movement as we touched on against, uh, uh, touched on with John and Remo. Um, Ottawa, three point home dogs tonight to the Montreal Alouettes. This game to me is the toughest one to pick of them all. I, uh, I sort of, I don't know why I'm playing much like John, a bit of a hunch and taking the home dog right now. But there's not a lot that Ottawa's done so far that's given me much confidence in the pick. And I'm still unsure as to what we're going to see from the Montreal Alouettes under Danny Machocha after that epic choke job last week against Edmonton at home. Yeah, I haven't really understood what Montreal's been doing, starting with quarterback. Like, uh, I thought Vernon Adams, I think he's got way more big playability than Trevor Harris. I don't think Trevor Harris has done anything really this year. I was puzzled. Um, as a well, they Vernon put Adams. up 31 in the first 35 minutes of the game last week and then basically yeah. went into reverse for the last half and somehow lost to Edmonton. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on there. I agree. Maybe offense wasn't the, the problem, but I still, I'm a big VA guy and I don't think he should be on the bench, but I don't think you can go wrong taking the home dog, but I don't think, I also don't think Caleb Evans inspires a lot of confidence there with Ottawa. So I thought, you know, they were played well against the Bombers, but they haven't been able to match that against the other teams. So, sure, I'll, I'll go Montreal. Oh, BC minus 11 and a, and a half. That's well, a tough that's one wild. for Hamilton. That one yeah. opened, like, you know, when we did the lock shot picks uh, with Dusty on Tuesday, this game opened at 7. I took BC minus 7 thinking that, you know, they're the better team. They've got some advantage. But it seems like everything that John just laid out, people are really buying into. 11 and a half is the number right now. And I'll be honest, I'm tempted to get on the other side now on Hamilton and see whether we might be able to pop this one in the middle in between seven and 10 points. Wow. And you kind of forget about BC because they, you know, play the games look great and then they go off and they've had two buys. They've only played four <laughs> games. The last time we saw them was against the bombers where the bombers uh, went into BC on a short week and, you know, mercy the BC, they put in their, their backups at the end. I did not see that happening. That was the last so, time they played. Yeah, that, and so I think BC is going to be rested here. They're gonna they're gonna put the hammer down on Hamilton. So I mean, you want to look at some some props. The one thing for me about about BC is like they have so many weapons. You just don't know who it's going to be. Is it going to be Butler or Whitehead? Now Burnham's oh Rhymes has been a nice ad for them. So I really like BC defense strong. And Hamilton last week, I watched that game. They were doing some weird stuff at quarterback. Uh, Dane Evans was in. Then they bring in Schultz to run some plays. Then they bring in Evans. So 
I don't think, I mean, it was working for them. And then when they went, went away from it, they kind of fell back, but then they put Evans and he led them to win. But I wonder what, what they're going to do uh, with the, with the quarterback situation. I think Evans should be the guy, but it was, it was wild watching it last week. Uh, quick update on that bomber elk game that opened up at eight and it's now seven and a half. Um, I thought there might be a little more line movement with the news that Greg Ellingson and Jackson Jeffcoat are out. Uh, but with the revolving door that is the Elks locker room right now, not sure anyone really knows what to expect from Edmonton. Bombers still seven and a half point favorites. And that game we mentioned, I jumped on immediately seeing Toronto getting six and a half points earlier this week, Reem. And now it's down to two and a half with uh, all of the question marks about the Riders. And just frankly, who's going to be in their lineup when they kick off Sunday afternoon at five? Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, if I'm playing DraftKings, which I am, I'm not touching this game. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, so let's. I'll stay away from that one. Um, I did grab the Bombers at minus eight, and hearing John say he would eat his hat <laughs> if they win, he may be. No, he's going to be eating his hat. He'll be taking. He'll be taking the L uh, on the program. What if the Bombers? We have do that win. on that video. Was, that was the ballsiest pick. What what's the money line right now? Like you don't say you're gonna eat your hat if a eight point favorite wins. <laughs> that's Plus not how it works. Two sixty eight on the money line. Yeah, that's you're risking way too stones, much. If you've got the stones, if you've got the stones to roll with John Hodge, you get a pretty juicy number. But uh, I ain't going against the Bombers. I'll tell you that much. I'll still take the uh, take that number. I think the defense could probably cover the number themselves right now, and. Uh, Maybe a lower scoring game right now, but um, the Bombers always seem to find a way to win. And uh, the Elks, I don't think, are that team that's going to upend the back-to-back champs. All the lines are there for you. We've got touchdown scores and some other props for the two games as well tonight. And again, we'll uh, check out what the Bomber player props are tomorrow on uh, the, the Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk before we drop the marbles to finish off the week. Um, 3M Open is underway. Obviously, you can't get on that right now. But I will tell you that uh, out in Minnesota, Scott Piercy and Sung J M are tied for the lead at minus six after the uh, first round. Adam Hadwin tied for six right now at third. Oh, along with my guy, Tony Fina, who's three under through nine. Um Great show today. We we packed a lot in, Remo, and tomorrow's going to be uh, maybe even better. Been looking forward to having Jeff Hamilton on all week. Certainly want to talk about the latest on the Jets with him. But Jeff will also have a, a nice primer to get us ready for Bombers Elks. Scott Burnside is going to join us. We'll talk a little bit more about the aftermath of um, Gaudreau and Kachuk in Calgary and more on his piece on the challenges of Canadian teams right now. Uh, but big, big guest alert if folks missed it earlier on, the man they call Bones. Rick Bonus, first visit to WST as head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Can't wait for that. Yeah, Bailey in chat was asking if we're going to have a Jet on soon. We did have Rutger McGroarty on last week. And I was like, does Rick Bonus count as a Jet? I know he's not a player, but he is on the team. He is on the bench. So that'll be really exciting tomorrow. We'll talk about the new, uh, the new coaching staff. Um, a couple a couple notes, Hus. Uh, people are asking us to touch on this. You want to touch on Kyler Murray's contract? That's a big. That's a big I one. I couldn't believe it. What two thirty for five years, one hundred and sixty guaranteed? Yes. Um, 
I said, I'm not all in on Kyler Murray. I guess, you know, they spent their first overall pick on the guy, and, you know, we know how important the quarterback position is. But I'm not sold on that team. I'm not sold on Cliff Kingsbury. And I'm certainly not sold on Kyler Murray as a Super Bowl-winning quarterback or even a quarterback that can push the other top teams in the NFC. Uh, they seem to always have great starts and then faceplant down the stretch. Certainly what happened last year. But the asset of a quarterback is so important that even if he doesn't end up being there throughout the entire term of the contract, they got it on. The, my takeaway from this, and maybe this is selfish as a Chiefs fan, every time one of these average or mediocre quarterbacks get signed, that Mahomes contract looks better and better each and every day. There's a chance by 2024, he won't even be in the top five of top paid quarterbacks, which is something uh, which is something crazy to wrap your head around when you think about what he's done in his career so far. Yeah, well, I mean, that is a crazy deal. So, I mean, you take, I mean, that's what happens as you sign these big deals, the cap goes up, they're getting all this you know, additional TV revenue. And so the money just goes to the other guys, but good for him for locking up. I wanted to touch on this yesterday. Uh, people are asking us today. Now that I remember this was the viral video. Oh, foul, uh, or, uh, autograph uh, guy. Yeah. Autograph guy. Viral oh video my God. is sweeping the internet. Uh, adult autograph guy elbowing kids overly excited. Um, I'm not sure you could be a bigger loser in any way than than this guy. I mean, listen, I know there's people that are collectors and they love autographs and stuff, but the way this guy was trying to muscle what looks like a couple nine and ten year old boys that are in front of him in line, one of the most embarrassing videos I've ever seen. And uh, if you are that guy, you need to check yourself because um, that is ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's. Well, so we don't need to pile on more than everyone on the internet already has, or maybe we do, but I mean, be respectful. Don't be, don't be that guy. No reason to elbow, no reason to elbow kids when you're trying to get a ball at a game or, you know, getting an autograph. I don't know. So it was, it's odd. There are people who do this. Don't be one of those people. That's about it. Hey, speaking of collectibles and autographs, not, autograph guy uh i just noticed joe daly superstar sports some of our local card shops just came out with the upper deck cfl cards for the year ream have you seen these yet i saw nielsen um tweeted a picture of getting into some maybe we should do some and do a do a uh, opening we haven't done a card opening in a while i thought if we had to kill time during the free agency show waiting for the Jets to sign someone. We could have opened some, some cards, but there's just so much going on. But I'm trying to figure out, or was it Lieutenant Eric? Well, the had, both of them. I guess their buddies at yeah. Wayne's Cards threw them a box, and uh, they uh, they were so, cracking some packs on the show today. I think they got a Darvin Adams auto. A I think there's three sort of quote-unquote hits, a couple jersey cards in each box, as well as an autograph. Mm. Um and Blue Bomber History, who I know is a big collector and was all over those on Twitter, uh, he got three cards, including, maybe he was the one that got the Darvin Adams uh, auto, uh, but also a gold uh, Stanley Bryant, numbered to 50. Um, listen, the Bombers are just such a special team right now. I've never really gotten into CFL cards before, but I think I might grab some of 
uh, of this year's edition. Um, it'll be some great keepsakes, I think, and collectors for so many fans of the Bombers to remember this uh, incredible group that's already put up two championships and is looking for another. Oh, these are nice. Yeah, shout out to Blue Bomber History on Twitter. I'm putting these. Uh, I'm putting these on our on the our stream right now. These kind of these remind me of last year's like uh, the hockey ones. These are cool. Yeah, no, Maybe a great I'll... look. Upper Deck makes such a great product. And, oh, there's our old pal, Andrew Harris in blue and gold. Still crazy Maybe to I'll think get... that he is playing for the Argos. How... Maybe I'll get a, uh, call a pack of these. I could be talked into that. I've actually been getting my uh, my son into hockey cards. He's, how old is he? Turning three. And uh, he's like, hey, you want... I know we're looking for stuff to do. I'm like, hey, you want to look at these hockey cards? And I just have a bunch of Tim Hortons ones. And he's Oh, he's you pretty, know what? He's I'll pretty actually... into them. I've got a bunch of comments from a couple of the boxes that I bought this year for the Upper Deck uh, Upper Deck Hockey. Oh, so uh, that awesome. was from Series 1. Series 2 is out. Mm-hmm. By the way, if anyone has a Cole Perfetti uh, Young Guns card, let me know. I'm looking for one. Uh, I haven't seen it, though, so uh, tweet us a picture if, you, if you've got it already. Anyway, support your local card shop wherever you are. If you want to jump on those CFL uh, boxes, they are out right now. I did see Joe Daly tweet out that they're uh, they're in there. I know our friends over at Superstore Sports have them as well, uh, but I think pretty much any local card shop uh, will probably have stock right now as it just came out. All right, great show today. Uh, big thanks to my guy, Pat Steinberg. What a beauty he is. Appreciate him jumping on with us during his holidays. Uh, Scott Stinson from the National Post, Murata Tesh, and of course, John Hodge. Tomorrow, big show Rick Bonus, head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Cannot wait to have Rick on the program and look ahead to the upcoming season with him. Jeff Hamilton talking Jets and Bombers. And Scott Burnside with more on the challenges facing Canadian teams like the Flames and the Winnipeg Jets right now. Uh, It's all coming up tomorrow. Marbles as well. Do not miss it, folks. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us tomorrow, 1 p.m., Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk here on the WST channel. Have a great night. Enjoy the CFL doubleheader. We'll see you tomorrow at 1. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.